Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 65, a week to kick off. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. It has been a long road since the XFL shut things down after week five of the 2020 season due to the pandemic. When news broke of Danny Garcia, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and Redbird Capital's purchase of the league in August of 2020, fans have been eagerly waiting for its relaunch. Less than a week from today, the XFL will kick off its 2023 season. As per usual, we have XFL developments to cover. In addition, we have three fantastic guests to provide their insight on the XFL and its lead-up to the Week 1's games. Later in the show, I will be joined by CBS Sports and Sportsline analyst and football game plan founder and owner Emery Hunt to discuss the XFL. I will also be joined by former collegiate football coach and new Player 54 podcast contributor Mark Halbach to discuss the XFL and provide an introduction to the team for the 2023 season. Lastly, I am joined by the Washington Post sports writer and author Jake Russell to discuss the D.C. Defenders and their lead-up to the 2023 season. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On February 6th, the XFL announced it had selected Sports Media Technology as their exclusive scoring and stats provider for the 2023 season. Sports Media Technology is the leading innovator in real-time data delivery, graphics presentation, and tracking solutions for the sports industry. Sports Media Technology will provide a customized version of QB Stat, its proven solution for providing real-time football stats to accommodate XFL-specific rules and operational differences. Sports Media Technologies' proprietary Oasis data and video platform, which is also used by the National Hockey League, as well as other professional sports leagues, will allow the XFL to maintain, administer, and manage centralized control over all phases of its data and video. For the league's official website, Sports Media Technology will provide a downloadable gamebook and Sports Media Technology built and designed widgets with live game results and stats, which include clock and score, possession, play-by-play, team stats in comparison, individual stat leaders, season and career leaders. Sports media technology production teams will be stationed at every XFL game, with on-field scoring teams and QB stat and Oasis operators working in production trucks. Other sports media technology operators will work from sports media technology remote rooster production studios, providing the XFL broadcast partner with an enhanced feed. Also on February 6th, The XFL Communications Department announced each of the eight XFL team rosters must be at 51 players by February 10th, 
and remain at 51 players throughout the regular and postseason. To be fair, XFL insider Mike Mitchell had previously reported the league was likely to have 51 player rosters. Then, on February 9th, per a league press release, the XFL announced each of its teams have finalized their 51 player rosters. Seven of the teams were at 51 players, yet the St. Louis Battlehawks were the lone team with 50 players. Then, on February 12th, XFL analyst and Instagram and Twitter account reported the St. Louis Battlehawks were signing former National Football League and Green Bay Packers quarterback Manny Wilkins. He becomes the team's third quarterback and fulfills their 51st and final roster spot. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by CBS Sports and Sportsline analyst and football game plan founder and owner Emery Hunt to discuss the XFL. Welcome, Emery. I appreciate taking the time to join the show to discuss the XFL, coaching staffs and rosters and whatnot. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Mike. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, it's kind of a dream come true to where I'm, you know, evolving into my show. So having people like yourself really have elevated the expectation of my listeners. So I have to deliver now. So I really do appreciate it uh, more than you probably would realize. But before we kind of get into the XFL, I always think it is important for my guests to kind of just share some of their backstory, right? I could do a biopic on you or whatever. I'm not going to do you probably the proper service that you deserve. So why don't you take a moment and here's your soapbox, kind of get up there and just let those that are not really aware of your work have a better understanding of who you are. Well, I started football game plan in 2007 as footballgameplan.com. In 2009, we added the YouTube channel when no one really was doing YouTube. So we jumped out there in that video space before everybody got our name buzzing that way. Then in 2011, when no one jumped in the podcast space, we started a podcast as well, Blog Talk Radio Live, Saturday morning, two-hour show. That started to bubble up as well. And next thing you know, I'm calling college football games for the first time in 2015. And now I'm with CBS Sports, and so football game plan has has grown each and every year exponentially. Um, and, and you know we've done a lot of work across the different football leagues, which is another way we got our uh, brand out there. We were covering women's tackle football, arena football, heavily into the CFL. Now we're you know dive, we dove into the USFL last year. We're excited about the XFL. We're doing an XFL TV show. We got a USFL TV show and an XFL TV show. Uh, for the first iteration of the XFL. Um, so we're excited about this this edition of the XFL. So football game plan has always been on the cutting edge or right there at the forefront of the alternate leagues, in addition to the great work we do with the NFL, major college football, and the NFL draft. This is why you are a perfect source to go to. And I'm not here just to patch you up or build you up. It's like this is why these moments having someone like yourself or a real treat. So let's talk some XFL. Let's get in there and start picking your brilliant mind because you are everywhere. I mean, you just had a busy month. You know, it took us a while to kind of connect here to make this happen, going to all the senior bowls and whatnot. So you are as in the trenches, understanding the ins and outs of all these players and probably anybody. You know, you had written a piece after the initial XFL draft on cbssports.com and you had kind of given your grades what you were seeing you know as far as players and you know needs and all those type of things no we're not going to revisit that because so much has happened 
since the initial draft. We've had a supplemental draft. We've had the NFL Alumni Academy draft with all those players coming into the fold. We've had several private workouts, even while these guys are in Arlington holding their camp. So we've seen so many pieces of cuts, pickbackups, trades even happening. I know you've been super busy. I don't know how much you've been up to date on the XFL developments as far as rosters. But what are you seeing as far as these teams? Well, I'd see, you know, and again, you're right. I've been heavily entrenched in NFL draft right now. Won't take a look at the XFL until I want to say after the Super Bowl and just get familiar with after roster cuts. Really, I could take a peek at those final rosters because the training camp from the time they drafted to the time final cuts happen. It's a pretty short process. And, you know, because this is the first year for the XFL, the reboot, you know, you don't have those that stream of training camp news coming out. So you're not following it every day as you would a normal training camp. And that's to be expected. So just from the outside 10,000 foot level, from what I've seen, you know, I like that some of these quarterbacks that they were assigned are no longer on their rosters because, Hey, it shows you that they're a true competition and they're letting the guy, the best guy win the job. And it's unfortunate that some guys are wanting their release. If they don't get the starting job, this is in college can't into the transfer portal. There's nothing wrong with being a QB too. Because you're always one play away from being a starter. So I don't like seeing that from certain quarterbacks. But I do like the fact that, hey, even though we were assigned this guy and they expected this guy to be the guy, the other guy is better with starting him. We saw this in the USFL when they took the kid Ben Holmes from Tarleton State, the New Jersey Generals. And they realized this guy behind him is going to be better. Luis Perez is going to be better. So we have to put the best product out there. And I like that I'm seeing that from the XFL with the moves that they've made outside of the draft. You know, you see some draft picks get released. Some guys, like you say, get traded. But the quarterback position is going to be key for, for any alternate league. And I'm glad they're letting the best guy get out there and play. I'm also kind of shocked on that a little bit because we did see the USFL last year and the Generals as a prime example that didn't just have one quarterback. They played two, right? And depending on what uh, formation, what schemes they kind of wanted to run. It kind of makes sense that if you're sitting in the two spot, you're not really out. You, you mentioned you're one play away, which could be in the case if there is a team that has a true number one. But in the, a lot of these cases, we've seen the evolution of the quarterback position. And we see it at college. Some quarterbacks are running multiple quarterbacks. It's not that shocking anymore. So I think I'm a little surprised that these players are essentially asking for their release and I get it. Everyone feels like they got that short, small window to try to get to achieve their dream. And, but at some point, you know, you're in a development league and that's what, you know, Danny and Dwayne have essentially claimed that the XFL is and whether people like that name tag or not, but it is essentially what they are. They got to develop it and try to get into the national football league. There's not that many expansion teams on the horizon people. So, you know, it's the reality that is in front of them. But I mean, aside from quarterbacks, when you look at these staffs and whatnot, are you thinking that certain staffs kind of have a leg up on others? Cause we have a plethora, well, I guess a plethora is only eight teams, but half of the teams have first year head coaches. Some of these guys have never even had a 
head coaching gig at all. It's not just in the professional game. They may have not had it collegiate or high school. So do you see that as a big disadvantage or do you think it's not as big of an issue as some would think? You know, I don't think it's that big of an issue, um, partly because the head coaching position is essentially a leadership position, a PR position. Your job is to delegate. And I like that they've brought in guys that they can entrust with, hey, okay, you run the offense, you run the defense, you run the special teams. I'll keep things coordinated. We'll, you know, we'll make adjustments here or there. Maybe I have the final say on you know, situational football, whether we're going for it on fourth down, uh, whether we kick the field goal here, whether we go on onside kick or, you know, whatever new rule they have or whatnot. Maybe as a head coach, you get that final say, but really your job is to delegate and lead. And so, and I like the fact that these new leagues are finding guys that, you know, give them that opportunity to be the first head coach, their first opportunity as a head coach. That's what these leagues are for. Because we constantly see the retreads happen in the NFL or guys get jobs from a certain pipeline in that league. So these leagues are primed for opportunity for fresh faces. And if they want to use the word development, how about the development of the coaches, development of the scouts, development of the director of player personnel, all those positions. Um, So, yeah, make it a true developmental league. So I do like the fact that we get a lot of new head coaches, guys that we haven't seen coach before. And that should bring even more attention to the league because you may have the next future superstar head coach right there in the XFL. Yeah, the league is just full of developmental innovation, even starting with an ownership role with Danny Garcia being the first woman to own a professional league. So in now we see the diversity among the head coaches. You know, we know the National Football League has their issues. And they're well known for whatever reason, the league can't get control of it. But you look at a league like the XFL, I mean, there's talent out there. There's people that are involved in football. I mean, it's not like we just invented a new sport. They don't have a problem finding people and giving people their first opportunity, whether they were even coordinators. Right. So it can't be that difficult. Either talent, a brilliant mind is a brilliant mind. And you just find ways to make that happen. I know any company I've ever worked for. I worked for Fortune 500 companies. I've worked for, you know, essentially family-owned businesses. They find talent. They're going to find a place for you. They're going to make sure that you thrive because in the end, they thrive. So just, it's a no-brainer. And I'm glad the XFL is one of those leagues that continues to be innovative and taking chances and giving opportunity not just for players, because that's what everyone just thinks of every time. But you're right. The head the head coach, the coordinators, you know, it's and even looking at like the Guardians and how they took a chance on a lot of just fan-controlled football players. It just seems like the great unknown is going to be this season with that team. It's either going to be a complete wild card of a great team or it's going to be one of those teams like, yeah, you know what? It's a bunch of fan-controlled football players. We saw this coming from a mile away. But the reality is, they don't let whatever traditional roadblocks get in their way. So, I mean, I think that is encouraging for fans that are watching this because they are literally unturning every stone. Are they not? Yeah, you you have to, man, because, again, you have to find a way to make waves. If you're the XFL or even the USFL, you've got to find a way to grab that attention. 
So you have to go in an unconventional route in finding talent, finding coaches, finding, you know, GMs, those type of opportunities. Because these are the the people you give these opportunities to that they haven't gotten before. They're likely to stick around, sustain that love of enthusiasm. Like, this is my first opportunity. I want to crush it. And so you're going to get the best of everybody when you give them that first opportunity. No one wants to be known as the flame out. So having those newbies in the fold also increases the pipeline, also increases the opportunity for those guys to have success. And when you are, you know, attached with other guys that are getting their first opportunity, everyone wants to be the best version of themselves and everyone wants to put their best foot forward. So you're going to get a great product as a result. So we had discussed briefly that you were on the road attending all of these senior bowl games and whatnot. So while you're out there, did you see any XFL scouts and personnel? I saw XFL scouts, you know, and, and that's a great part about the game. I think one of the major questions everyone always asks is, well, there's a new league. Is there enough talent? Or will the talent be too thin? No, there's more than enough talent to fill two spring leagues. And in fact, there's enough talent to expand both of those spring leagues to at least 16 teams. If you think about, like, here's the part that people uh, forget. 90 players go to an NFL training camp. So if you cut when they cut the 45 players or whatnot to get down to 53 or 63, whatever the number is now, I think it's 63. When you cut that, that number of players, that's essentially that team's developmental team or whatnot. Right. So you cut 35 guys times 32, you do the math. That's another league in and of itself. So yeah, you can expand to 16 teams in each league, or even you can have a 32 team, spring league if both leagues were combining so having those scouts out there at these different all-star games allows not only is is twofold allows the the league to get talent have that influx of talent coming in and, and being able to identify okay this guy is is he's good but he may be a tick slow might not have the right amount of athleticism for the nfl but he would be perfect in our league and so you're getting firsthand that opportunity. And on the other side of it, players see the logo, they see the name, and now it becomes part of their thought process. And they're going to give that feedback back to, you know, their friends back that are still in college. Like, hey, you know, you had the NFL was out there, the XFL was out there. So now subconsciously for the junior or the rising senior, it's going to be like, okay, the XFL is an option for me. The NFL is not, I'm not just locked in or I got to make the NFL now because I keep seeing the XFL around. I keep seeing the USFL around and now can, you know, put that in my thought process of, okay, if I don't get drafted, all is not lost. Or you may even look at it as an even bonus opportunity. I know I'm not that ready yet for an NFL job, but let me just jump into the XFL, play those 10 weeks. And then we're done before the NFL draft happens. Maybe I get a chance to get drafted coming out of the XFL. So seeing those those scouts there and having the players see those scouts there serves twofold. Uh, and, and it's all beneficial. I thought that was important to ask because it seems like most of these startups put all of their eggs in the startup basket. 
right? The camp is going on. They're about ready to kick off in less than two weeks now. And I don't think people realize the league is doing whatever it needs to take for the future as well. Right. And I, I think this is something that a lot of people are like, well, it's, it's one year. They either got to get it right or they're out. Like the last iteration, there was supposedly a process, right? A three-year plan, five-year plan, whatever Vince McMahon was saying. Well, we're hearing the same thing coming out, Danny, Dwayne, and Redbird Capital. We have a plan, a long-term plan. We understand. Well, obviously, that's the case when you see scouts at these events. Now, is it possible we could see maybe some of these guys now that just played their senior year somehow find a way to play if they don't get into the mix of the National Football League draft? Ah, who knows? I mean, you may know a little bit more than I would or anybody else, maybe because you just kind of had some conversations. That, is there that potential that they could somehow get into the 2023 rosters with the XFL? Well, you already see it in uh, in the XFL with Harrison Frost, quarterback out of West Georgia. He's a part of this draft class. And just like I mentioned, he understands the likelihood of him getting drafted or getting into the NFL camp is slim to none. Right. Even on a rookie tryout basis, it's probably not going to happen. So why not increase my profile by going playing pro ball in the XFL if he makes the squad? And now I get those 10 games. I get some reps in there. I get tape of practice and me doing my thing in practice if I'm not a starter. And now I can then take those opportunities post XFL season to see if I can get into a training camp and have more of a, a legitimate opportunity than a camp tryout or not getting invited at all. So that's why for those guys, especially these small school guys, taking that option is is huge. If you have a chance to go and play pro ball against pro competition and get paid for it, take that opportunity instead of, I know everyone wants to dream of the NFL, but the NFL is going to be there. You just got to find a way to, when you do get that opportunity in the NFL to stick and going into one of these leagues and playing against other professionals gives you the best opportunity to stick once you get that NFL chance. That seems so obvious, but for whatever reason, I don't know why it may not be for a lot of these players, but in in his case, he's taken advantage of it. But it seems obvious because if we take a look at some of the guys that are rostered right now, they're not finalized. They're going to get finalized later this week, down to 51 players, but we're seeing Martavius Bryant. We're seeing Vic Beasley. You know, we're seeing Josh Gordon. These are names that resonate with people because they have strong ties to the National Football League. But for whatever reason, they are just not there. But these guys see the opportunity ahead of them, and they're not giving up. They want back in, right, to fulfill that dream, even if they had a taste of it. They've already touched the field played you know in games but when you see these names and obviously this is the star power supposedly for the league obviously there's gonna be a lot of newbies so to speak or you know let's say alternative journeymen because we even see a lot of guys on, on the renegades that are a very veteran alternative league type of player but when you see these big names i mean what are you anticipating with them is it kind of like, okay, maybe they're not going to be what we are expecting and it's not fair for the fan to have that expectation of Vic Beasley, the former All-Pro? 
Well, yeah, that's the thing. You you have to temper your expectations because if they were still those guys with those names, they would still be in the NFL. So you have to really, you know, hope that they can come out there and give you some glimpse. But otherwise, man, they really took an opportunity away from a young guy that's eager, that's ready, ready to go. But the fact that they are playing in the XFL shows you that they are serious about perhaps their comeback. But just in terms of what player you're going to get, that you have to wait and see because these guys definitely, I don't want to say past their prime, but, you know, you're talking about a couple of all pros, a pro bowler, you know, high picks, guys that were super productive in the NFL, now playing in the XFL. And you don't know what you're going to get because they're exits of their league. Maybe Josh Gordon was a little bit more solid in terms of his last, the last time we saw him uh, playing in the NFL, which was, I want to say, last year or a year before last. But everyone else, he just, he had, really forgotten about and so you hope um you see a glimpse of that but you really have to tape your expectations what i hope people can also look into the development of these teams is that maybe they're not brought in to be the actual star maybe they're brought in to help with the development of others because they have been there they know what it takes one to get there once and play there and has some success. But two, development comes from guys like Ray Lewis. You know what I'm saying? He was a mentor, a brother. When you hear other people talk about Ray Lewis, can these guys be that? I know you don't necessarily have that answer, but I hope that some of the XFL fans are not always looking for everyone to be the star, like you said. I ask because I'm trying to also help temper the expectations, like you said. Because it's so important that, yeah, we don't have, you know, the Brady-Manning duos coming in. We have who we have, but doesn't mean that these guys are still not good because there are so many All-Americans out of college that are just not playing in the National Football League. Because every year, people are coming out, but pros are having six, eight, ten-year long careers. I mean, in the case of Tom Brady, you know, heck, he'd still be playing if he didn't retire again. So I mean, those are spots that are going to be always taken up. And there's only so many seats at the table. So there is talent. And sometimes I think it's going to take some veterans to help develop it, not just from a coach, but that peer relationship, as I mentioned, Ray Lewis, has just been vital in people's mindsets and approaches to the game. And it just made them better players for it. No, absolutely. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. That's another angle that they're going to have to look at and see uh, – what's the benefit of them being on a team? And if they are in the mindset of development, a lot of guys are not just natural leaders, so they don't want to develop. You know, they don't have the time. They're trying to get back into the league. So you really don't, it's it's really hit or miss uh, if you're looking at it from that aspect. Right. I mean, I'm also just trying to throw out another avenue, which, you know, we see coaches like Jim Hazlitt was rumored there to make a jump to the, uh, back to the, Falcons for what ties he had, but he made it pretty well known that he's where he's at. And maybe some of the players might come around to the same thinking as some of these coaches have, you know, Wade Phillips has had his time in the NFL and maybe he's just ready for a shortened year, but he still has that uh, hunger for football and same with guys like Jim Haslett and not. And Bob Stoops obviously still wants to be involved to some extent, but not full time in the college game or at the national football league. We can sit here and talk all day, but I want to, honor our time commitment i really appreciate you finding the time squeezing me in 
to be able to just come on and talk about the XFL for a little bit. And, you know, maybe in the future we could do it again if uh, your schedule allows. No, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's, it's an exciting time because you have the culmination of the NFL season. Cut down day is on February 10th uh, for the XFL. And on the 18th, we kick off games. So, you know, it's football all year round. This is something that we've all talked about and dreamt about. Uh, and now we're getting to experience it with the XFL. And then following suit is the USFL. You have the, I mean, to be honest, you have the European League of Football kicking off right after or right you know, toward the tail end of the USFL. So it's legitimately football all year round and us right back into uh, NFL training camps. A fun time. Yeah, it's something I think that people have wanted for so long. And now that we have it, are we going to be satisfied? You know, we always want more, but it's like it is a good time to be a football fan. You know, and the fact that even though we have two leagues competing, they're just a slight overlap, you know, with the XFL, USFL. So, yes, it is a great time. And, uh, heck, we even have more arena leagues popping up, you know, so there is opportunity for players everywhere. Before I let you go, could you just take a moment to share where some of my listeners could follow you? Because you've got so many things going on, like you had alluded to earlier, just so they can kind of tap into some of your work and some of that knowledge that you, you have. Follow me on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. Subscribe on YouTube. YouTube.com slash football game plan. You catch all of the all-star game highlights, some practice clips, so you can get to look at some of these prospects, but also pre-order your copy of football game plans, 2023 draft guide. Last year, we had the largest draft guide in draft guide history, over 1000 individual scouting reports. So a lot of guys that are going to be playing in the XFL, we have scouting reports on. So get your hands on this edition at football game plan.com slash 2023 draft guy remember this is individual scouting report so it's not a, a you know a few names in a list it's everyone that's in there has a full scouting report so again last year it was over a thousand reports and it's again it's all pdf full color pdf so therefore you don't have to worry about you know i print mine out just because i like to have a physical copy in addition to um the digital copy but it's all digital copy you could order it footballgameplan.com slash 2023 draft guy. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you, Emery. Appreciate it. Emery is an intelligent and respected football analyst, and we are fortunate he was able to find time and fit us into his jam-packed schedule. He has been completely submerged into attending the Senior Bowls and preparation of scouting hundreds, if not thousands, of National Football League draft-eligible players. If you are not familiar with Emery's work, tune into his contributions on cbssports.com CBS Sports HQ, and Sportsline, as well as his football game plan. As I have also previously mentioned, I will now be joined by former collegiate football coach and new Player 54 podcast contributor, Mark Halbach, to discuss the XFL and introduce him to our listeners. Welcome, Mark. I appreciate taking the time to come onto the show to discuss the XFL with me. Well, Michael, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on here. I've, uh, you know, followed you here for the last uh, couple of years and I'm looking forward to contribute. You know, I appreciate that you and every listener follower that I've had along this journey has really been intriguing to me and has actually elevated me in ways to want to do more than I ever thought I would do. But I reached out to you a while ago. We had been kind of talking for a little bit 
just kind of casual here and there. And we kind of bounce off an idea of bringing you on because you do have an interesting background to me. You know, I, I didn't play the sport because I came from a high school that didn't have football when I came through. So I was a soccer player that eventually went on to play college soccer, captain of my team. We won a conference championship, blah, blah, blah. So I never played the game. I clearly never coached the game. I've done a lot of watching as a fan, whether season ticket or whatever. You have been involved in the game. And this is why I reached out to you. So I'm just trying to help the listeners understand, okay, who is Mark? Like, why has he just brought this guy on that's been following or listening to the show? But there's a lot more to you that intrigued me along the way. So I think the best way to start this off is to have you kind of share your background, you know, explain who you are and kind of why I brought you in here. Maybe you don't know a hundred percent, but like why you think essentially why you got brought in. So our listeners have a better understanding of, you know, you and what you bring to the table. Well, I, I appreciate you reaching out to me. Uh, you know, I've always uh, wanted to uh, kind of talk about, uh, you know, these spring football leagues and, uh, you know, my background goes back. I've, I've spent 18 years coaching football. Um, I actually started at the youth level. And, you know, that really gives you a good perspective of how to do things. And I would work with high school kids uh, during the summers when I did that and then realized I wanted to actually, you know, coach football for a living. Uh, it's always been something I wanted to do. So I did get an opportunity to do that. Uh, so I did become a college football coach at the Division Three and NAIA level, uh, where I coached for nine years. Uh, you know, I coached every position on offense, uh, from quarterbacks to offensive line to running backs to receivers to tight ends, uh, you name it. Um, and the game has always intrigued me. Um, I've always been a big fan. I did play in high school. And what intrigues me about the game is just the the chess match and the physicality and also the athleticism of these players and um you know coaching at NAIA in division 3 it's it's a different choice than being at division 1 and it's a different level so one of the reasons i i feel uh, you know i'm an enthusiast i'm going to say that i'm not an expert so i've always been an enthusiast of you know the XFL and the USFL you know, especially since uh, 2020. And part of the reason that I am that is I believe in opportunity for more for the players and for coaches and for training staffs and for scouts and for referees and for anybody who wants to be involved in the game of football at a level where they can do it for a living because you might as well have some fun while you do it. Even if you do it for you know, just a few years and you realize, hey, it's not for me, but you'll always remember, you know, the people you run into and the community that football really builds, you know, with that. So I'm I'm excited to be here to talk football um, and talk the XFL with you. I hope I can bring a perspective of a coach of, you know, maybe some X and O's, maybe why coaches went for, you know, these decisions versus this decision. Uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to kind of analyze that a little bit throughout the year. Yeah. I just, I, I'm looking forward just to talk football and, and to enjoy this. Awesome. So you mentioned the USFL, the XFL, there's a plethora of leagues now. 
I mean, you go back two decades ago, we were lucky to have the first iteration of the XFL. Right. It just, there really wasn't anything going on. We had the Arena Football League that was kind of in its prime in that time, but we didn't have all of these arena leagues. We didn't have USFL, XFL, this potential startup of uh, Major League Football. Even look at what's happening overseas now. Obviously, the Canadian Football League has been around for a long time, but, you know, seeing the European League that's really taken off and even football leagues down in, say, Mexico and stuff, it just, it's interesting. There's so many leagues, but these two particular leagues, what is it that really intrigues you about these two in particular, the USFL and XFL? Well, Michael, I think it's the, it's the backing. It's the money and the corporations that are behind this. Um, It's Redbird Capital, the rock and Danny Garcia and Fox sports. And I find it very interesting that they're taking two different approaches, you know, two different business approaches. Uh, In my opinion, you know, there's different ways to start a business. I feel Fox is kind of doing the sole proprietor, you know, where they start off with just kind of themselves and then they build and they build and they build. The XFL, on the other hand, is kind of doing the venture capitalists (laughs) where you just throw money into it and you hire and you go for it. So it's intriguing to me to see that side of it as well. But this is the most financial backing that these leagues, I feel, have gotten in a long time. And these two leagues, in my, in my opinion, you know, Fox and the XFL, have gotten a lot of data over the last few years since XFL 2020 on what's going to work, what's not going to work, and how to do it. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, number one, can both of them last? You know, will one of them fold or will they merge? I mean, that's always been a topic. It will always be a topic. Um, But we've had two competing leagues in football before, in football history. We had the NFL and the AFL. Uh, So, and we saw how that turned out. So you never know what's really going to happen. I think with the popularity of college football, there are more and more fans that follow players from college into the pros. So there are more and more fans that are going to be willing to turn on the TV and watch these players play. In my opinion, I don't have any data backing this up. This is all just my opinion, but I do feel that Fox and the XFL and Redbird do have the data that says, Hey, these can work if we do this. And, you know, they're lucky to be able to have some trial runs in the last couple of years, but there's some good football players out there yet. And we're going to see some good football like we did, I feel, in XFL 2020. And it's going to be fun. And um, But these two leagues, I feel that the biggest point is that they've got some financial backing um, when it comes to, you know, football in the United States. It is very interesting. Two completely different. I won't say completely different. I mean, there are different approaches here, but they are both essentially using a hub. So I think they do use some different expenses, no doubt, in those approaches. But they are both of the mindset that they can't just throw all money at it. So, uh, and so it's interesting. But 
I think that's why I'm drawn a little bit more to the XFL because it feels a little bit more traditional. And I still watch the USFL. I know we had talked off off air about some of these things. And I know a lot of times, I, like I've shared with you, it's not that I'm anti-USFL because I'm not. I'll tune into the games. I'll watch whatever. And I know I've said some things and always say I don't want to beat a dead horse. I want to. The reality is they are similar in a lot of ways too. They are in the same space, the same time, the same sport. They are playing essentially with the same quality of players. And I know there's a talent war going on back and forth. So no doubt they are same, but they're not. I look at these leagues, same space, same thing, essentially. Different approaches. And I think this is kind of what is also intriguing is that we have more football. And what is more American than choices, right? So here we are. I just elected to be an XFL show, but there's going to be players going back and forth and we're already seeing it, right? So they're going to be back and forth between the different leagues. And we've definitely seen a number of quarterbacks and other players. We've even seen a few coaches jump across the aisle, so to speak, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen next season back from this league. So it's not an anti-show of any, you know, league, whether it's a USFL or whatever, but the reality is we will hone it back in on, the XFL here because that's what we're here to cover anyway, or I am. And uh, seeing that you are an enthusiast of both, I just wanted to kind of get your insight onto what it was about the two leagues, or at least the XFL, that intrigues you. So, as a longtime football coach, I thought it's wise to get some different insight because I'm not that football guy, as I previously mentioned. I'm, I'm a fan. Season ticket holder, I see things from that way. But as we are preparing for the 2023 season, which is just a few weeks away, like, I mean, essentially what, week and a half now? I mean, from or a little more than a week and a half from where we're at. So just under two weeks now. I'm not going to expect anything crazy here. And I don't think the fans are because we, I don't think we have 10 hours here to sit here and really do a deep dive, Mark. So is there a Cliff Notes version that you would have? When you look at these teams, whether it's the coaching staffs, the players, what are you seeing? And if we could just start with the North Division, let's say the D.C. Defenders, and kind of go from there. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot a little bit. But, uh, you know, there's got to be some initial thoughts that you had when you see certain players being signed and you're seeing certain guy, coaches on the staff. I know we don't have a crystal ball. We're not sitting there watching the practices. We clearly didn't get to see any preseason games yet. We only get to see whatever little clips are here and there on social media accounts. But if we start with the DC defenders, what are you seeing? Well, first, Michael, you know, overall, the things that we're going to be watching for are going to be number one quarterback success, right? We want to know who's going to start, who's going to come out of the gates, you know, who's going to be the PJ Walker, who's going to be the one that struggles and maybe has to, you know, uh, take a back seat and get replaced. But the other thing that I want to, people to watch is watch the offensive lines because they, they are going to be the key. Okay. We, we say that mobile quarterbacks are the future of the, you know, football in any league and they are, but as long as the offensive line can hold up and the best offensive lines uh, that perform and strategy wise are, are coached up and prepared are the quarterbacks that are probably going to have the most success. Okay. Um, passing game, I always, as a coach, passing game, it all starts up front. Running game, 
obviously it all starts up front. So that's one thing I want people to, to look out for. Now, when it comes to the defenders, DC defenders uh, particular, we're all excited about Teamu. We're all, we're all rooting for Jordan. I think everybody is, right? In my opinion, Todd Haley did not do him justice. Okay. Todd Haley ran his offense and didn't tailor things towards Jordan. Now, Fred Case coming from college and coming with Reggie Barlow, Fred Case, the OC, is known to be an RPO, a run pass option, you know, coordinator. He likes to run those things. And that's what Jordan does. That's what he did in St. Louis with the Battle Hawks in 2020. That's what he did in Miss, at Mississippi. And you're going to see him use his legs a little bit more in this league than he did in, in the USFL uh, last spring. So we're excited about him. And so that's what I think we see there. And that's the connection is between the OC and the quarterback, um, making sure that that's a fit. Because if that's not a fit, you can make a, a great quarterback into a good one. But if you got the right fit and you're doing what your quarterback can do, then you're, you're really going to be set out for success. I think uh, Coach Barlow has got an experienced spring league quarterback. Um, so he's a step ahead a little bit. Some other uh, places might be, some other teams maybe. So I know looking across their roster, they're not lacking talent. So, you know, we see all sorts of different people with different you know, analysis backgrounds, like careers. And some people have them pretty high. You know, looking at them in what you're seeing on the roster, are you thinking they are going to be a top team? Potentially, I know we don't see all X's and O's in front of us. We don't have all the chalk talk to kind of get into, maybe until we get week one, two under our belts. But there's a lot of people that are pretty high on the defenders. And when you see that roster, see the coaching staff, what do you think? The first thing I think of is is the word that comes to mind is solid. You know, Reggie Bar- Barlow has built, a, you know, and his personnel team has built a solid team. Okay, and they went out and got Jordan, a l- you know, a little later, right? Um, I don't know if that was because of other contract issues, but there's probably some negotiations that went into that, right? And they went out and got him to kind of complete that part. And, you know, it's going to be fun to, to watch them, but they're a solid team. And, and I think they will be in the, you know, in the top echelon of, of the XFL, you know, barring that you get the quarterback play, right? And if Jordan is 80% of what he was in 2020 with St. Louis, they're going to do just fine. And I think Jordan really wants to come out and say, hey, 2020 wasn't a fluke. You know, the XFL is where I belong. I'm a star here and I'm going to show you that, but they got a solid, solid roster, uh, you know, and they're going to be good, you know, all over. So, I mean, it, it's, I can't take a player here and there and, and say, Hey, you know, yeah, this guy's going to be a difference maker, but I just think they're going to be a, a solid team. That's well coached. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely, um, you know, see, you know, we'll, we'll find out, you know. Well, time is going to be the deciding factor with anything. There's so many things that still need to happen. You know, they're not out of camp yet. Still got to play games and health. 
determines a lot with any team. It doesn't matter if you're amateur teams, professional teams, whatever sport you're playing. Health is a big contributor to a team's success or downfall, essentially. So, Absolutely. No yeah. It, it, you know, the, you know, they say it's a war of attrition and it is. And this is what I've always said. And as a coach is, you know, I would rather, you know, have my team healthy at the end of the year than at the beginning of the year, you know, because if you get hot late, you're going to win. You can win the championship, if you get hot early and you fade. You're not going to win a championship. So it's always better. I'm always going to say this better to get hot late than it is to, to get hot early. But uh, yeah, looking forward to, to watching that and to see what, you know, Reggie Barlow brings, you know, to, you know, from college to the XFL. Well, he's a pro just, you know, maybe not as a head coach, but now he is. So he's got some professional experience playing in the national football league. So again, there's a lot of new coaches in the league where he's not a new head coach. He's just a new professional coach, but he's got, you know, a ton of experience one way or another. Let's shift uh, towards the Seattle sea dragons. What are you seeing there? Well, we're all excited to watch the Sea Dragons because of June Jones. Come on. And everybody might be, we're all wondering why he's not a head coach. Okay. And I feel that the XFL picked head coaches to be more of that CEO figure than to be a more of the X and O's. Now they'll always have their input in on X and O's. Okay. You're the head coach. You get that. That is your right. Okay. That is when you become a head coach, your birthright is that you get to put X's, you get to decide the, the strategy on every part of the game. Okay. In who you hire and then even week to week. Okay. So June Jones is a play caller. So I think that's one of the reasons why they kind of, you know, said, Hey, you know, let's, you can be a coordinator, but we would rather have somebody is not a play caller and can do some media outlets during the week a little bit more to promote the league, but I'm excited about June Jones and, and I'm, I'm not a huge run and shoot fan, but when it comes to June Jones, he knows how to get the best out of everybody, right? Like he's, he's shown that he can do this pretty much anywhere. Done it in the NFL. He did it in you know college at Hawaii at SMU. He did it in the XFL to 2020 and he's going to do it here um, because he just knows how to teach his system and it's going to be interesting. We're all anticipating Ben DiNucci to most likely be the starter. I think Steven Montez can push him a little bit, but I think DiNucci is going to wind up being it. So I'm actually really excited to see what comes out of that. Okay. Just because when I think Seattle, I'm thinking West coast offense and Jim Zorn and, you know, running inside zone and play action And now we're going to see the Seattle team throw the ball and be aggressive. So it's going to be, I think that's what I'm looking forward to in that. But again, it's all going to be, can they protect them? But June Jones knows how to do that. He he knows how to kind of just slightly move the quarterback, you know, to the left, to the right, just to make that aiming point different all the time. And he did it with PJ Walker in Houston in 2020. And so I know I get excited about offensive coordinators and quarterbacks. <laughs> and once we find out 
who who offensive linemen are that are jumping off the screen and the receivers we know. I mean, Josh Gordon's there too. Come on, we're we're all wondering that question right there too. So when it comes to Seattle, those are the three pieces really that we're looking at. Now, they've been searching for a running back here lately, it looks like, with some trades and some signings lately. But they'll find a guy to do what he needs to do there. I mean, they will find that person. And they're, you know, they're probably not going to have any tight ends, right? You know, he, he didn't have any tight ends in Houston, so we'll see. But when it comes to Seattle, like those are the three people we want to see. We want to see June Jones right now, Josh Gordon for sure. We want him to jump off the screen and have success, right? You know, I'm I'm anticipating Ben DiNucci being the starter from you know the media things that are going on. I could be wrong in that, but I feel like he's gonna be it. But those are kind of the three things that we're all looking forward there. Defensively, Ron Zook, you know, he was at the University of Illinois, he did a great job in his first couple of years at the University of Illinois. I, I, you know, I believe he even took the team to the Rose Bowl back when that was a Big Ten bowl game. And he he spent a lot of time in the NFL with the Packers as a special teams coach. So, you know, defensively, they're going to be, again, pretty good just because, you know, Ron's got a lot of experience. And that's what's great about the XFL. And right now that we're seeing They've got very experienced coaching staffs that have done this at different levels. And so these players can be well coached. So looking forward to seeing that. So the long answer there. <laughs> well, I mean, they even have Hazlitt is a defensive. I don't know if I want to say genius, but that's his specialty. Well, he's been defensive coordinators or head coaches before. So, I mean, they're definitely going to be a defensive team. Not that I'm trying to put on my analyst hat here, but uh, I can see that. That just seems like a, a you know a no-brainer, and it does seem like they're going to give the reins to June Jones. So you know it makes complete sense. Yeah, definitely. You know when you got the defensive guy as a head coach, it's going to be interesting how that goes with June Jones, right? I'm going to overall, you know, defensive coaches to me they're a little bit more conservative. They're a little bit more conservative in play calling, you know, going for it, taking chances. Now, that's not every defense coordinator I've ever met or worked with. Um, you know, the, I've worked with the gamblers, too, that will blitz you, that will come after you, that will, you know, hey, if you're not betting the house, you're not betting anything. So I've worked with coaches like that as well. But it seems like they kind of tend towards a little bit towards the conservative side sometimes. So. I'm hoping that marriage works real well, you know, with, with June Jones and, and Jim Hazlitt. Uh, but yeah, they're going to be well coached, you know, with Jim Hazlitt and Ron Zook on defense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shifting to potentially the favorite personality among head coaches, the St. Louis Battlehawks. What do you think about Coach Beck's team with what he's brought in for his staff, what he's brought in for players? What do you think about with the Battlehawks? So he, obviously, yeah, Anthony Beck has done a great job of promoting this league. Okay. And he seems like I would love to sit down and pick Anthony Beck's brain. Okay. I would love to sit down and, and hear the stories he has of his experiences and everything. He has been great for the XFL and he's going to be great for the St. Louis area as well. AJ Ben Karen kind of leaning towards him being the starter a little bit. 
Um, you know, at quarterback, we're going to see what, uh, you know, rumors had it that people, you know, the NFL still wanted him in a backup role. And AJ said, you know, hey, I want, you know, you know, he must have made a decision to say, hey, I want to, I want to play some ball instead of kind of holding a clipboard. So I'm going to try this out. Bruce Gregkowski, that's going to be an interesting one. Now, I, like I told you, I started at the youth level, worked with some high school kids during the summer, and then I was coaching division three. So making the jump from high school to a pro league, I don't think is going to be any different. These high schools with all the, you know, all the days that they have that they can meet with their players during the summer and stuff, they're running college offenses. Those kids want this stuff. They know it. They know the offenses, you know, nowadays and, you know, youth and high school because of playing Madden. Okay. So making that jump, I, I don't think it's going to be difficult for Bruce. It'll be interesting what he brings. So I guess, uh, you know, my, I didn't have any Bruce Grankowski high school, you know, coaching tape, you know, to watch. So it's going to be interesting to see what they bring, but we all know what we're waiting for in St. Louis. We're all wondering week four, what is the dome going to look like? St. Louis is a flagship franchise for the XFL. They were in 2020 and it was amazing. Watching those games in 2020, you were like, this is going to work. This is going to work. So there's a lot of question marks with the play, you know, that that's going to happen. Um, I think they're going to be, a, you know, a good football team again, that'll be coached up, but it's going to be interesting to see what Bruce Grankowski brings to the table uh, when it comes to offenses and can AJ McCarron, you know, what, what is he going to bring to the table as well? So, you know, that in that regard, you know, it's hard to say really with, with them. I know, again, I'm, I'm focused on quarterbacks and coaches, but that's in offense, but that's my mindset, right? Until I see them play and understand who the players are and the defenses schemes, and then, you know, who stands out on defense, I'm really, you know, not going to know you know, how I would scheme up a, a team yet, you know? So I think they're a big question mark though. I think they're one of the bigger question marks out there. And th- that's only because of Anthony Beck, again, first time head coach at any level. So, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, he's going to bring good enthusiasm, you know, the reports on the sideline, he's going to be great at those, right? We know that. It's going to be interesting to see what I do like about the coaching staff. There is uh, their wide receiver coach, Ricky Prohl, coming back to, you know, St. Louis. They should be, you know, uh, they should have a Ricky Prohl day for him. Um, I think he's going to be a great asset to that staff and to, you know, obviously that city and that franchise there. But again, the one thing we're all really, really, you know, is Kaka going to be the law again? And will the St. Louis fans make it happen? And then also, what is their record going to be going into week four after having three road games? And I know every game's a road game for everybody, but playing in front of your home fans is different. So what is it if they're 0 3, what's that going to look like? And if they're 3 0, what's it going to look like? I think if it's th- they're 3 0, um, St. Louis better, you know get some more staff for the dome and, and be ready to open up part of that upper deck, which we all want to see happen. We all just want to see that happen. So. Heard Phil the top. If they're 3-0, and 
they might just blow off the top. <laughs> they I'm, may. Not tr- I'm not trying to be a comedian here. I know that there's a lot that's going to take to get that upper tier opened up because somebody had shared with me it costs so much money not just to flick on the escalators, but it's the cost of the escalators and the staffing that it takes to put up to the top for concessions, security, and all that stuff. I heard it's almost equivalent to selling 4,000 seats. So just to break even on what it would cost to properly staff the up top is they would have to sell 4,000 seats. So the first 4,000 seats for the top part of the, the bowl would go towards the cost. And if they can get anything over 4,000 in the top, which I would assume would be the case of why you'd open it, then there's where you start putting money back in your pockets, not sending right. it through via PayPal to your buddies. So, so a little less uh, analysis on uh, Battlehawks and a little bit more enthusiasm of, of what it's going to look like, you know, franchise wise. Uh, so, you know, as, like I said, as, once we see them play and things like that, we'll have a little bit more to talk about in, in players and, and how the coaches are doing things. But uh, right now, outside in, that's what it excites me right now about St. Louis as their fans. It's all good. It's all good. So to round out the North Division, we have the Vegas Vipers. What comes to mind there? So, yeah, with, with Vegas, this is going to be interesting, especially with the, the Brett Hunley, you know, signing and the reports of, of what he's making. And he's probably, you know, going to be one of the higher paid players. And even though in 2020 they had higher paid players, um, you know, the XFL this this time seemed to go a little, probably a little younger at the quarterback position. I know there's some veterans like Brett and AJ, um, to name a couple that are out there. But um, they seem to have wanted to, you know, go a little bit younger here. Okay. But with Brett coming in late, I think, you know, we discussed this too. You know, that's one of the the downfalls of that. I expect Luis Perez to take the first snap for them, which would be great because then Luis Perez would have taken the first snap and could take the first snap in both uh, inaugural seasons of two spring leagues. But uh, Luis is, you know, a fan favorite. We all love him. We love his attitude. We love his grit, right? That's what he, that he embodies that blue collar. I'm going to do what I have to do. But it, in the long run, Brett Hudley got brought in to start. Now, um, I think it might take a game or two, or maybe Brett gets, you know, maybe they rotate. You know, that's another thing that the Vipers, you know, could be one of the teams. I asked myself this question too, you know, what team is going to maybe rotate quarterbacks? This could be one of those where, they both get a little bit. We know what Luis brings to the table. I think he brings a little bit of calmness to the huddle with his demeanor. Nothing shakes him, really. You're going to get a really good timely play out of him. That means a lot during the game. You're going to get some really good completion percentage out of him and accuracy as long as he's being protected. Okay, He's not one of these guys that's going to run around too much, even though, you know, in the USFL, he's made some good plays doing that, but, you know, he's not running, you know, all over the place, uh, you know, PJ Walker style making plays that way. So I, I find that intriguing there um, when it comes to that. When it comes to, to Brett Hudley, I'm going to go ahead and do this, uh, but I wanted to take a look at Brett Hudley's 
NFL stats compared to PJ Walker's NFL stats real quick. And just to kind of see, you know, engage maybe where he's at. And these are just, these are just numbers, right? Um, But we use these numbers sometimes to help us understand some things um, that are going on. So real quick. Okay. So all of Brett Hundley's experience is prior to 2020. Um, I think he may have had a, a, I don't think he's had a game in the last couple of years in the NFL that he's played in. And then PJ Walker's experience is post 2020. So it becomes very interesting, but Brett Hundley's games played, he's played 18 games in the NFL. He started nine of those games, all of them in 2017 for the Green Bay Packers when Aaron Rodgers was hurt. His career completion percentage is 59.1%. His career touchdown total is nine and his career interception total is 13. Okay, that's Brett Hudley. PJ Walker's NFL career so far. He has played in 15 games. He has started in seven, five of them in 2022. He's completed 57.5% of his passes through five touchdowns and has thrown 11 interceptions in his career. So I just wanted to kind of see what we were getting because we saw PJ was one of the best quarterbacks in the XFL in 2020. They almost got exact numbers in the NFL. Okay. And I didn't go to quarterback rating or anything like that. Um, I just wanted to kind of see how many games they played. And they're almost equal, give or take a couple games and give or take a couple percentage points. So, if, again, Brett Hudley is going to be interesting, but, you know, I, I think uh, Lewis Perez starts it off. Again, Rod Woodson is going to, you know, we're going to see. There's more unknowns about maybe what they're going to run than than anybody else right now. I told you I wasn't going to kind of put my nose in the analyst pool here too much. I haven't been too quiet that I think the Vipers roster looks pretty solid. I think it looks, you know, loaded in a lot of areas with some proven veterans. We've seen Martavius Bryant, Vic Beasley on the defensive side, his former all pro. I mean, there's definitely some other talent without keep going down. It's going to be interesting. And the reason why I mentioned this, we talk about quarterback play. And they're going to have two interesting quarterbacks, no doubt. Kind of go back to what you were saying about the St. Louis Battlehawks. And it's going to be a tough division. And that's where it's going to be very interesting, like you said, what the Battlehawks are going to do. I mean, with the with the Vipers, like you mentioned, you know, um, Martivius Bryant, I mean, also being a high draft pick in the XFL here and then also having all that experience in the NFL. So obviously he's going to be a player we're going to want to see and watch as well. I feel like at this, you know, XFL has got a couple of those players, you know, that are, you know, the Josh Gordons, the Martivius Bryants, you know, that people are going to tune in maybe just to kind of see what they're doing in this league. So um, that would be great as well. It's going to be, you know, again, a first time head coach, right? more of a guy that I think was brought in to be a CEO and a face of the franchise to do more interviews and to be a a figure of, of that, you know, city and franchise. So I do like that. They, I know a lot of people think Vegas might not have been a great spot. I think it's a good spot. I think they'll do well. You know, I hope Cashman field works out for them. 
you know, and, um, you know, they can definitely pack that. And I'm, I'm interested to see what that's going to look like though on TV as well. I think we all are, to be honest with you. I, I think we're so intrigued and not necessarily that we are super excited about the stadium. I think we're just intrigued at how it's actually going to just look. And uh, I know I spoke with uh, Brian Salmond from the NBC affiliate uh, during the last episode, and he seems to think it's going to be fantastic. He thinks, that, you know, it's going to be intimate enough where the the vibe that fans are going to get and play off from one another is actually going to put out a good sound in that stadium because he says that the Las Vegas Lights soccer team that plays in that same venue, he goes, it's just an electric atmosphere. So hopefully that's what we see. That's what we get to hear in the broadcast because that's what, you know, obviously everyone that's tuning in wants to see and hear, you know, especially that's why the XFL are in the markets. But, you know, it is what it is. It's the football that most people are tuning into. So hopefully the product on the field is what we're more focused on than the people in the in the stands. So if we can, let's shift now to the South Division. This is the division that obviously I am paying a little more closer attention to because I am a Guardians season ticket holder. So I'll be driving the uh, two-plus hours to Orlando on those five weekends at least. Hopefully we can get a sixth, depending on well, we've got to see where the playoffs are going to be. But we'll start right there. Let's just start with the Orlando Guardians. We won't go in alphabetical order here, but... What are your thoughts there with T-Bucks team? They're going to be one of the more intriguing teams to watch. With them bringing a lot of players from the fan-controlled football. Now, I've never watched fan-controlled football, uh, so I don't even know what it is. It looks like uh, I may have seen a highlight or two, and it seemed like it's a little bit like the uh, arena le- uh, arena football. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this roster plays out. Now, Terrell Buckley, um, by the way, is one of my favorite players as a kid. Okay. I grew up an hour south of Green Bay, Wisconsin. So green and gold runs through my blood. And when he was chosen and everybody said he was the next Deion Sanders, you know, I was, I was all for Terrell Buckley. And a great story about Terrell Buckley, too, in my personal memory here, is um, I was at his first game as a pro when he was a rookie. It happened to be the fact that Brett Favre came in for an injured Don Mikowski against the Cincinnati Bengals. And two things happened that day. Um, I had seats at about the third row up, 15-yard line, and early in the game, Cincinnati gets ready to punt and they're punting right in front of us. And you see, you know, Terrell Buckley's going to return the punt for the first time. And I said, I looked at my dad and, you know, I'm a sophomore in high school. I'm about 14 years old. And I said, he's going to house it, right? Like this is coming back to the house. And sure enough, Terrell Buckley's high stepping into the end zone right in front of us. And it was, it was just amazing. So I tweet that to him all the time, that YouTube clip, and I get nothing back from him. So I'm starting to lose faith here in Terrell Buckley a little bit because he, he won't acknowledge me there. And then the second thing that happened was Brett Favre came in and threw one of the unbelievable hole, what's called a hole shot against cover two uh, right in front of us. And it's the first time in a football game I ever heard a football fly through the air. There's not many people that could have made that throw. 
and it won the game for him. So um, two things that, you know, you wonder why I love football. You're sitting at a game, Green Bay game with your dad. And two of those things happen, you know, when you're 14 years old and you're, you're playing football yourself at that time, you know, in high school. So, um, yeah, so that, that's my memory with T-Buck. Um, so Terrell, I, I find Terrell very intriguing here. This could go two ways with, I feel with him. Um, I'm glad they gave him this opportunity. Okay. I'm glad he jumped at this opportunity. I feel the roster is probably, we all think right now it's one of the weakest in the league. Everybody is, has got them ranked eighth. Everybody that you kind of look at and see whose ranking teams has them. I don't want them to be eighth. Um, you know, I'm looking at this, but I'm, I'm rooting for Terrell. And I'm glad to see that they kind of brought in Paxton Lynch to try and shore up that quarterback room a little bit because we've seen flashes of what Paxton can do, right? We've seen it in the NFL. We saw it in the USFL. And it's just going to be whether or not Paxton can stay healthy. I think Francois winds up starting, um, being a big part of that. But I think at the end of the day, um, Paxton Lynch is going to be the starter there. And they may rotate quarterbacks. Um, he's got, you know, a coaching staff that I feel isn't loaded with a lot of that NFL tenure, right? You know, he doesn't have the, the Jim Hazlitt or, you know, or, you know, or the, those types, you know, staffs. Um, so I worry about them coming out and struggling. Um, and we need, you know, and for the XFL, uh, this Orlando team needs to thrive. So I hope they do win a couple games early. And, and people come out and watch them, but I'm very doubtful of that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> throwing it out there, I guess. But when it comes to that, I will be rooting for Terrell for Coach Buckley, uh, just because of my childhood memories of him. Um, I think he's going to have the he's going to have a good secondary because you know um, he's just he knows what he's going to be doing there. It's going to be interesting to see what they do on offense with, with Coach Ford coming from fan-controlled football. Um, I know he's probably got other experience. You know, if we're ranking the Guardians, you know, in the South Division, they're, they're fourth in that. And they're probably seventh or eighth overall. Um, but they may fool us all. They may fool us all. So, Yeah, I think they are the wild card. It's just, I think there's so much has been put in that FCF basket with the coaches stuff that is either a genius move and it could catch everybody off guard with it. And that's why I call it the wild card, or it could just be, what were you thinking? So I'm not going to kind of go into it. I look at the staffs and I'm intrigued as a season ticket holder. As I probably should be, any season ticket holder shouldn't it be like, oh, it's already a lost cause. But I'm intrigued, and I do think it's a complete wild card. And to the point that I don't know what I'm going to see there, and I think that's going to be the intriguing part. It's not like you know one way or the other. Like some fan bases in college football or the NFL, you know if you got a winner, you know if you got a loser. This is going to be interesting, and I think each week is going to be whatever. I use this term going to get one layer of the onion peeled back, so to speak, as we go. So I'm pretty excited about it. And, and that, so, sorry, Michael, but that leads you to, to wonder if they struggle early, what is coach Buckley's reaction going to be? He seems to be a very serious person. 
Okay. I don't know if you saw the round table a little bit. He seemed to be the more serious one there. And because this is his opportunity and he doesn't want to blow it. Right. And, and so I would be more serious as well. Whereas, you know, in that round table, you know, the other three guys, Wade Phillips, Bob Stoops, they've, they've done their thing, right? They got all these accolades. I mean, if Bob Stoops needs an ego burst, he just needs to go to Oklahoma, right? I mean, and then he gets his ego boost, you know? Uh, Wade Phillips is always going to be known as a, a great defensive mind in the NFL. So, and Heinz Ward's playing career is always going to be behind him. Now, Terrell Buckley had a great playing career in the NFL. And people don't understand that. They're, they're like, well, it was kind of a bust. Well, no, he probably just didn't fit in in Green Bay too well. And he was young, right? And young, young people kind of sometimes need to feel their way. Terrell found his way playing for New England and playing for Miami, I believe. And he had a hell of a career. When you're in the NFL for more than 10 years, that is saying something. Like I said, I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him. And I hope, I hope that if things don't go well, he isn't throwing anybody under the bus, right? It's going to be take your responsibility. You're the head of the guy. Even if it is somebody else's fault, it's still your fault. Okay. When you're a head coach, that's the way it is. So we'll see how that goes because we've seen some coaches in spring leagues that don't have head coaching experience come in and don't know how to handle that. Um, you know, and I'm not going to name any names on that one, but I think everybody who's watches these two leagues knows. So we'll see how he handles himself. If they have success early, it's going to be easy for him, right? If he's struggling early, it's going to be interesting to see how he reacts, right? How's he going to react with that microphone in his face when something doesn't go right during the game? So that's what I'm looking for in, in the Guardians. I know it's it's less about the players and more about the coaching staff, but that's, I look at that as well. So could coach Buckley be the Winston Moss of 2023? If things don't go well early, you're not afraid to make a change like Winston Moss did at the defensive coordinator position. He made a major shift fired right away. Was it week two? I think he realizes if two games, it wasn't, it wasn't going the way he wanted it. If Coach Buckley is that invested, that serious, would he be, then I'm not saying you know him personally or anything, but could we see that Coach Buckley is the guy that is willing to make that change right away to set that tone? Absolutely. I think he's going to do what it takes to win win football games, and uh, and he should. That's what you're brought in to do, right? You know, unfortunately, sometimes you bring people in you know that you've worked with, and the risk with doing that sometimes is that you got to let them go, right? It's like if you and I started a business and hired our best friends, the risk is if our best friend isn't performing, <laughs> we got to fire them, you know? So it, it is, it is what it is there, but yes, I think he's going to do what it takes. He's going to, he will find the personnel. He will unbury it if he has to, and he will make the changes. I feel he needs to, or if it's a little rocky, he's going to, you know, feel it out and be able to, to do that. But yeah, I do. I feel like he's that type of person that's, that is willing to like, Hey, I'm just going to start making changes. Now. I don't know what the league gives the coaches, you know, if they have full authority over those coaching staffs, which I believe they would, um, you know, in order to, you know, get rid of them or not, because there's contract situations that go with that. Right. 
So, but yeah, I think he's, he's definitely there, but you know, we're all going to tune in to watch the, you know, the, the neon green on the green and uh, you know, see if the guardians can go and you know, that's going to be a flagship, another flagship franchise because Danny Garcia is from Orlando and she's going to want to make that go. So I'm looking forward to it. Actually. I can't, I can't wait until, you know, week one when they're playing, I think they play Saturday night right away and, and we'll find out. We'll find out. Definitely. I want to take a look at the Houston Roughnecks next. Only because this is an also, I think, wild card team, in my opinion. And I'm putting it ahead before I get yours. But what are you seeing when you look here? Obviously, Wade Phillips is, to me, the biggest name. I mean, I know Bob Stoops is huge. But I mean, as far as NFL experience, and the son of the great bum Phillips, you know, like he's just a staple from the Houston area. So I think like that's pretty big. What are you seeing when you look at coach Phillips, his, his staff, his players? This is again, like you said, this is a, this is another question mark. And I think when you have question marks at quarterback, you have question marks on your team, right? So the, the two teams that so far we're saying are, are kind of question marks are, the two that really don't have, we're not really solid quarterback rooms right now. Okay. Wade Phillips will have a good defense. They'll be well prepared. Okay. Uh, Brian Stewart will have them playing well. Wade will have his input there. Right. And we all know what we're going to get there. We're going to get a good defensive team. Okay. Offensively is going to be interesting though. Okay. Because AJ Smith comes from, you know, the June Jones coaching tree. And also I believe AJ's done some air raid stuff as well. So he's got the run and shoot an air raid, <laughs> which there are differences. Okay. There's subtle differences. Well, I shouldn't say there's subtle differences, but there are differences in those offenses. Okay. But you'll hear those terms, right? You'll hear the run and shoot and you'll hear air raid, you know, uh, offense. So AJ's kind of got a, a experience in both. So it's going to be interesting to see how he runs that offense. And obviously the question mark is again, that quarterback room. Okay. So Brandon Silvers played at Troy university in, in Alabama. So Brandon Silvers comes from the air raid. When we saw Brandon Silvers in 2020, he was running the West coast with Jim Zorn from 1994. He was watch, he was running Brett Favre's West coast offense, not the offense. Brandon Silvers is running. Okay, completely different offense. So Brandon Silvers, if he comes in and slings it like he did at Troy, okay, and he's back there in shotgun and doing what he's comfortable doing, they're going to do just fine, right? They're going to, they may surprise a couple of teams and win a ball game here and there and could possibly be, you know, the second team in that division and and be in the playoffs. Now, I'm assuming Brandon's going to be the starter. Because I just, I don't really know much about the other two. Uh, Cole McDonald coming from Hawaii. If Brandon Silvers is allowed to run his air raid. So Brandon Silvers played for Neil Brown, who is the head coach of West Virginia. That's who was the head coach at Troy um, when Brandon Silvers was there, I believe. And Neil Brown, I've met Neil. Um, I've actually been to Troy University when Neil was there, when Tony Franklin was their offense coordinator and learn the air raid offense from them. Neil, Neil Brown, just a great guy. 
Um, so we'll, we're going to see, does that, does that marriage between AJ Smith and Brandon Silvers take Brandon to a different level than he was in 2020 because he's running an offense that basically got him some NFL tryouts, right? Some NFL practice squads. So that's what intrigues me about that team. We know what we're going to get defensively, but are they going to get enough out of the offense? And is the offense going to be on the field enough? Because do they find out they're a better running team and do that? That's not going to be Brandon Silver's. He's going to be the 50% then guy, 50% completion percentage, throwing a hitch and you know not really understanding why he's throwing that hitch, just knowing that's the only route he can remember. Whereas he's been in the air raid for years and he already knows some of those things. So I always said, if you took Brandon Silvers and you put him on the Dallas Renegades in 2020 with Hal Mummy, Brandon Silvers may be, have been in the MVP talk. I, I believe that. But he, he wound up with Jim Zorn, who they were doing enough on offense a little bit in Seattle, but it, it was definitely, you know, an old school West Coast offense there at that time. So let's go ahead and just talk about the Renegades. Coach Stoops is back. The one head coach that returns. He obviously brought in the Hayes brothers. So he looks like he's really stacked with people with XFL 2.0 experience, which is the iteration that a lot of people really fell in love with here. So, I mean, I know what I see with the roster. What, what are you seeing between the coaching staff, the roster? What do you see happening? Well, well, not only, you know, on offense with John Hayes, you know, along with him is going to be Chuck Long. So he did co-offensive coordinators between John Hayes and Chuck Long. So a lot of experience coming from there. And you might see what they were running in in St. Louis in 2020, a little bit of that RPO. However, it all depends if they have a quarterback on their roster that is going to do that. You're not going to do that too much with Kyle Sloter. You want to keep him healthy and, you know, Kyle's got battered in the other league, you know, and, and so hopefully he's healthy. Also on defense, you know, Jay Hayes is, is there, right? And then you have Tim Lewis as well. Again, a plethora of experience on this coaching staff. And I think they have an advantage a little bit because they have all this, they knew what they were going into in 2020. And they kind of know what to expect a little bit more here in 2023 with, you know, and Bob himself too. I mean, this is going to be the first, you know, Bob's had the microphone in his face during the game, you know, after his quarterback's thrown an interception, Wade Phillips hasn't had that. Jim Hazlitt hasn't had that yet, you know? So let's see how that experience will, I think, keep a lot of calmness in the coaching room and in the player in the locker room. But it's going to be interesting because we all want to see Kyle Sloter, you know, tear it up. He did a, a favorable job considering he was playing, you know, basically almost one arm, one legged in the in the USFL and just kept playing. He was like, no, I'm going to play. So um, it'll be interesting to see um, how they kind of marry Kyle's playing ability with what Chuck Long and John Hayes do and see if that works. Overall, the roster, <laughs> top to bottom, they're probably one of the most solid, right? You're, you know, they've got a, I feel like they've got a lot of people that have recognizable names from 2020. Kenneth Farrell, Jordan Smallwood, 
you know, on offense to name a couple, they know what to expect now. You know, they kind of know this. Um, they know what the flight's going to be like. They know what the pregame meal's going to be. They know, you know, the, the ticket situation with their families and what that's going to be. And if you don't think that weighs on people during games and stuff, it does. But top to bottom, you know, obviously they're going to be a front runner um, just because of that experience. So we'll see. I mean, I keep saying we'll see. <laughs> well, uh, we will. I mean, I mean, it's the only thing we can do, right? It's but, not. You know, so <laughs> I just feel like I'm saying that a lot. But yeah, I mean, it's all going to depend on that. And then obviously their defense is going to be solid with the personnel they have. And we'll see how the offensive line holds up. And can they keep Kyle Sloter upright? Can they keep him, you know, more protected than what he was? Because when healthy, we know that kid can sling it. And he's a gunslinger. Like, he's going to make those throws where you're like, oh, God. And then you're going to, he's going to make those throws where you're like, oh, my God. Like, that is that was awesome. So you get a little bit of both worlds here with, with him. But with their experience on the coaching staff and also on the roster, I just think they're, that's why they're being rated so high by everybody, you know, that's kind of looking at them. Well, he also has his favorite target to jump, you know, leagues with him. How huge is that for Kyle to bring some familiarity from one league to the other, kind of his uh, security blanket, if you will. Well, ask Tom Brady. I mean, ask, ask, uh, ask him what his, you know, what his quarterback rating was with, with Gronkowski and what it's not with. And to have that big body that can catch some and run down the middle of the field. That is, everybody's looking for that tight end, right? So Canella, he, you know, he saw some NFL camps. He was in the, he was in the Packers camp for a little bit as well after the USFL. So I think you're right. I mean, that familiarity with that, I mean, again, like you get that little sense of security and there are just sometimes players that you play with and you see this, you know, whether you play with them or you see it, they kind of, they see this, the, the same game. And I think those two see the same game. And when that happens, you know, like Tom Brady and Gronkowski saw the same game, you know, I'd hate to say it, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, they see the same game. And they can just do unbelievable things, you know, with, you know, to, together when it comes to offensive play and in the passing game. So, yeah, that is huge having that. And that'll definitely, you know, again, why they're at the top of the, you know, when it comes to personnel and looking and, and preseason rankings right now, why they're at the top. Well, last but not least, the San Antonio Brahmas. Hines' team, you mentioned him a few times before. So what are you seeing with his staff, his his roster? So Hines is going to be interesting, right? I, I think he's he's great for the XFL, okay? And, and he's had a little bit of the spring league experience, right? He was big with the AAF. I think he was in more of a of a operations position with them. Um, and now he, he's got the opportunity to come and, and be a head coach, but he brings with them, you know, obviously the OC, Jamie Alzando brings the experience with being with the Tampa Bay Vipers in 2020. One thing I think, and Jamie also, you know, obviously was in the CFL too. One thing that I think Jamie's learned from XFL 2020 was that you got to figure out fast what your team is. And it took the Vipers uh, a few games 
to realize that they just needed to pound those two running backs uh, in 2020 uh, in Jacquez Patrick and Devion Smith. Having those two guys, I think it took them a while to kind of feel out who they were, right? And so I think he may, I'm hoping he learned, like, I got to figure that out faster. Like, I got to figure out who my guys are, what they do well. And we got to run those things instead of trying to stuff your offense down your player's throat, which is never a good thing. So I think, you know, it's going to come out, um, you know, with that, it's going to be, you know, kind of interesting to see what he runs offensively, because I think he's going to see what he's got personnel wise uh, when it comes to that. Now, the quarterback room is one of the more interesting and competitive rooms. Uh, I believe, you know, with uh, whether it's, you know, Anthony Russo, Jack Cohn, Jawan Pass, and Reed Snit, I think they're all still with the team right now. Has anybody been cut yet? I, off the top of my head, can't recall, to be honest with okay. you. So, you know, I apologize if, if I'm not up to date on, on the roster sizes. That's not something that I'm checking into every day. I do see the the transactions, but you know, we're thinking Jack Cohn and Anthony Russo are the front runners, you know, but I've heard really good things of Reed Smith. So we'll see. Jack Cohn has got a plethora of experience at the college level playing five years, you know, uh, with Wisconsin and then also with Notre Dame and had a pretty decent year with Notre Dame. So I think he's more of the front runner there when it comes to their quarterback. We'll find out on February 18th and 19th, you know, whether or not he is that, you know, we, we thought, you know, Connor Cook was going to be the starter for the Houston Roughnecks and all of a sudden PJ Walker was so in 2020. So looking at that, you know, they're, they're again, kind of the middle of the pack, unsure quarterback room, right? So where are they going to fall and where is their quarterback and O-line play going to be is going to determine their success. I think defensively, typically at the beginning of the year, defenses are ahead of offenses. Okay. So don't be surprised if offenses get some calls early on in the league. Okay. Um, You're going to see that uh, because the league wants a little bit of scoring. All right. You know, so don't cry about holding calls too much on offense because they're, they're, they're probably not going to happen the first couple of weeks. Not too often, at least. And I, I would tell my defensive linemen that as well, too. I, I, all D linemen in, the, you know, in this league coming up here, just expect to be held and be able to fight through it, figure out how to combat it, you know, because it's going to happen. So it's going to be interesting. Um, Hines, I like his attitude. He's got a positive attitude, always has a smile on his face, wants to learn. So I think he's got some upside as as a head coach. Like he's not going to be the guy that's too serious and he's not going to get too upset. Okay. He knows what it's like to be a player uh, as you know, half of these coaches <laughs> more than half of these do, but Heinz knows the ups and downs of a game. And, you know, he just seems like he'd be more positive than he would be pointing out what things are happening when things are going wrong. So, but again, you know, what we're excited about again with San Antonio is what's that fan base going to bring? And, uh, you know, it looks pretty good so far. Uh, we're hoping it continues in another good spot. And I hope that, um, you know, for Orlando, St. Louis, Vegas, and San Antonio, that these franchises, you know, stick and this works because, you know, 
that way you get a team to root for, you know, you have a professional team in your town then. So definitely looking forward to that. Um, so we'll, you know, it's all up in the air though, right? I mean, this is all speculation. Um, this is all something that, you know, we don't have crystal balls, so don't come back at me if I was wrong. All right. I'm, I'm putting myself out there saying this. I mean, it's easy to, to play armchair quarterback too, and, and armchair coach. Uh, but that's part of the fun of, of the league though. We get to do that. Well, social media is built off people calling other people out, Mark. So we're not trying to put you out there to put a bullseye on you, but I, unfortunately, I know I have already drawn my own critics in certain ways, probably not as many as I probably should have, but uh, you know, I'm not a big speculator, but there are always going to be people that want to one way or another find a way that I, but you said, and uh, you know, you were wrong, so to speak. Some people find satisfaction in that, despite clamoring that they need more coverage and more discussion around things. Why don't they have this? And then those that bring that to the table for whatever reason, get criticized. But anyway, Mark, you have done it. I have done it now for a while, but you had alluded to something here a little bit earlier. I don't know how much people picked up on it, but Mark is going to be contributing one way or another as the season progresses here on player 54 podcast. I am really looking forward to it. This is kind of your breaking of the ice moment. So hopefully it wasn't too rough on you, Mark, that you are still interested in coming back as we actually have football to talk about and not hypotheticals. We'll kind of get into the games, talk about the past weekend, and maybe we can kind of do a little bit of preview of what's coming up. It'll be a little bit different as the season progresses because there won't be as much time to find a lot of people to coordinate interviews with. So when I reached out, I needed the analyst, the person that understands the X's, the O's, that really is going to get that chalk talk and not just me as a host that really doesn't have that particular background. So. Mark has agreed and is interested in filling in where I lack the experience and the knowledge. So I think this show will be better off for it. Doesn't mean that we're not going to reach out for some guests to also fill in in the ways that I have done leading up to the season. It has been a long off season waiting for this kickoff, but I think you are going to be a big addition to the show, whether people see it right now or not i think my first handful of episodes were probably complete trash or garbage and i would think that most of my listeners would agree that i have evolved and grown with this platform so mark uh, if you do listen to this episode later on down the road don't beat yourself up too bad about it because we all start someplace and as you get more comfortable I know I'm not your best bud. It's somebody we just kind of met through some DMs and had a couple conversations here and there. But hopefully we kind of just mesh a little bit better and it becomes a better partnership as uh, kind of how I've evolved in with my show. Absolutely, Michael. And I look forward to, like I mentioned, you know, trying to bring just a little bit more insight and a different opinion 
sometimes. And, and like I mentioned, you know, we're, I'm an enthusiast. I'm not an expert. Okay. Uh, but I, I love the game of football and I want these leagues to thrive, not just survive. I want them to thrive. Um, and if I can talk about it a little bit and that helps it, that's great. And if it helps, you know, uh, people understand the game a little bit more, that's wonderful too. So I'm looking forward to the season and, uh, you know, can't wait until February 18th and we can get things uh, kicked off. You're going to have to keep reminding me and correcting me when I keep referring to you as my football expert, because I know you're an enthusiast, but I know you have so many years invested in the game that that is going to be something I got to correct as time goes on, because I don't know if anyone's ever really an expert. We all have our thoughts, right? And so true. Very true. <laughs> Very true. So, but yeah, you know, thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking more throughout the season and, uh, you know, hopefully like you mentioned, you know, we'll, we'll uh, continue to, you know, find things to talk about and people to talk to about this league, help kind of spread the word and, and promote it. Well, before I let you go, here's the opportunity to put yourself out there a little bit further, Mark. This is a moment where you can share your social media handles and this is where you get to interact now as a member of the podcast world with those that tune in. But it's not all bad. Most of it is really good. My DMs and stuff open up and the questions and interactions I get with players and just fans in general. I mean, the, trust me, it's going to get better. So if you wouldn't mind putting yourself out there a little bit more and sharing your social media handles, uh, please do so. Yeah, thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. If you're if you're looking to uh, you know kind of find more information about me or you know want to DM me, that's perfectly fine. I'll try to get back to you. Um, I do have a day job, uh, but you can find me on Twitter at Mark underscore Hallbach. You know that's my my handle there. So it's uh, M A R K underscore H A L B A C H. Perfect. Thank you, Mark. We are blessed to have Mark join the Player 54 podcast team. His extensive football knowledge will help the show provide better analysis for the 2023 season. Mark's personality meshes well, and I hope we are able to build upon our chemistry as the season progresses. I am looking forward to his inclusion and working with him. So, welcome him to the team and give him a follow on Twitter. As I have also previously mentioned, I will now be joined by the Washington Post sports writer and author, Jake Russell, to discuss the D.C. Defenders lead up to the 2023 season. Welcome, Jake. I appreciate taking the time to come on to the show to discuss the XFL, D.C. Defenders lead up to kickoff and possibly more. Thank you. I really appreciate being invited on here to your show. Yeah, it's a pleasure, like I had previously stated in our lead up. I know we want to talk about the XFL, but I always hit the timeout or the pause button here because I think it's always important for our listeners to understand exactly who you are. And here's your opportunity to get up on your soapbox and really explain <laughs> to people, you know, what it is that has gotten you here today that makes you the professional, you know, writing for the Washington Post. Growing up, I always wanted to be, well, I wanted to be a bunch of different things as a kid. I wanted to be a WWF wrestler or a truck driver. 
because I always thought tractor trailers looked cool, not because I thought the profession was cool. I just always thought the way tractor trailers looked was really cool. And then I also wanted to be an NFL player. And then the more I played football as a kid, the more I really just detested the injuries. I'm like, I'm tired of getting hurt. I'm tired of getting stingers where my left arm goes numb and I can't breathe. I'm like, that's not fun. And I quit before I got to high school because, you know, it's only going to hurt worse from here because they're bigger, faster, and stronger. And I'm just mediocre at best. So that's where I peaked was just a mediocre, versatile athlete. I was an offensive lineman, defensive lineman, kicker, punter. One play, I was a tight end, but my quarterback overthrew me in the end zone. So I could have had a touchdown for my career, but not trying to throw that quarterback under the bus. But I remember that vividly. Um, and I'll never forget it because that was my one chance as a lifelong lineman to actually score. But once that opportunity passed to play football, I just quit playing sports altogether. And I thought, what's the next best thing to being an athlete and, you know, being a football player, covering them. And specifically, grew up following the Washington Redskins my entire life. So I thought the next best thing would be covering them. And then growing up, I always appreciated and admired the way the Washington Post covered them as, you know, an impartial outlet, you know, not necessarily corporate sponsors in terms of how they uh, cover them or, you know, it, it didn't let any biases influence their coverage of them. And I, you know, I love just the fact of the idea of the getting news and facts and new information every day from the team from them. So I thought, you know, that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to cover them for the Washington Post specifically. And that's been my dream since I was 13 years old. And that's, oh my God, 22 years ago already. Holy crap, time flies. Um, <laughs> so, and then my mother worked at a magazine called What's Up Annapolis Magazine. And when I was, I believe, yeah, 13, I think, because um, time is just, it goes by so fast, it's hard for me to keep track. So this was the summer of 2001. She said that her boss asked her if I would be willing to write an article on the Redskins and the Ravens going into training camp that year. And I said to her, I said, that's not funny. Don't joke to me about that. And she said, okay, fine. And she called my bluff and she called me out on my BS and said, okay, fine. And I was like, aren't you serious? She said, yes. So that was my first start into sports writing was writing a little preview for the 10 players to watch for both teams going into training camp that year. So I was a published author at 13 years old. I'm like, this is really fun. And then I did it the next year. And then a couple of years later, I um, wrote about, you know, the Navy football game day experience. Um, that was in 05. So I, and then uh, also in uh, 2003, I met a guy by the name of Mark Solway at a Redskins training camp. He just noticed that I knew who all the players were. And that's always been a thing with me as a kid. I would recognize the players without their jerseys num jersey numbers on. I could recognize their faces. And, you know, as a kid, a little tiny kid, three, four years old, I would have adults follow me around because I would get the autographs from the players as a little kid. And I would recognize the players without their jerseys on. And then even fans would ask me for my autograph when I was a little kid. I thought that was really strange, but I thought it was also pretty funny at the same time. Um, so that one in 2003, I met Mark Solway, who owns the website, thehogs.net. And then he asked me if I wanted to write for him and write for his website. I'm like, fantastic. This is the team I, you know, I wanted to grow up covering. And so I get to write, you know, write my own stories that I want to write and um, have collaboration with the, the staff members of that website. So I wrote for hogs.net for about 10, 11 years. And that was just kind of like feeding into my addiction to sports writing and covering uh, sports specifically local sports and then i for about a year i also worked at what's up magazine full-time and um so that was also going to school so i went to university of uh, maryland for five and a half years because i worked full-time and then a little bit part-time and then going to school part-time 
And before that, I did five and a half years at Enron Community College in, you know, combining those two ventures. I call that my 11-year plan, and I don't recommend that to anybody. If you get in and get out with college as soon as you can, I highly recommend that path instead of going for 11 freaking years. <laughs> Just <laughs> looking back on it, I'm amazed that I, I stuck through it with that. I guess not really, because part of me, I would just be really annoyed with myself if I went for that long and didn't finish. Um, so that would always eat at me. So I'm glad I did. I'm glad I got it out of my way. And then when I was working at What's Up Annapolis magazine for um, for that brief period, I got hired by the Washington Post back in 2013. So this upcoming September will be 10 years since I've worked at the Post. And I've been thrilled to work there ever since. It's where I've wanted to work since I was 13. It's hard for me to envision working anywhere else, honestly. I just hold the the paper in high esteem. And their writing, their coverage, their depth, and just how thorough they are, and you know the breadth of knowledge that everyone on our staff has, and our ability to reach a large number of people, even to this day in the digital age, where it seems newspapers are well, not seems, but newspapers around the country are shutting down left and right, which I hate to see. Uh, speaking of papers, I also worked at the Capital Gazette in Annapolis for a year before I moved on to the Post. So I really do have. I'm 35, but I'm an old 35, so I really appreciate the local news coverage and local outlets and their ability to reach you know, specific audiences that directly affect the people in those communities. And I really hope that one day we'll see a groundswell of more local outlets popping up, serving their communities, because I think that's a really huge, the biggest purpose of, of newspapers is serving their communities. But yeah, I think I might be at the end of my spiel. So I've been at the Post for it'll be 10 years in September. And they had me covering the Defenders three years ago. I was one of only a couple people in there who really observed and watched and actually cared for spring football. So uh, my boss graciously let me cover the Defenders in 2020 before, unfortunately, before COVID hit and shut the season down halfway through. Um, it was it was an interesting, refreshing experience to see to see a nice positive rejuvenated fan base in DC as opposed to the NFL team. Cause they were just so disenchanted with the, with the Redskins at the time. And there were even fans <laughs> at defenders games saying, sell the team, Dan. Um, so that was a thing even back then. Um, and it was just fans of all stripes coming out to those games, you know, wearing diff- jerseys of different sports, jerseys of different NFL teams. And then they didn't care what NFL team they rooted for. They were all there for that event. And they made the most of it, as you are well aware, with the beer snake and all the shenanigans that went on with the uh, the fan base uh, there in 2020. And I expect that to resume this year, too. You can take another five, ten minutes if you'd like. Do you feel like you missed anything? I think I need some oxygen right now. <laughs> even I even I felt I was like, man, Jake, you went a little long winded on that one. <laughs> trying to be funny with it but i'm like i didn't want you to feel rushed you're like well i feel like i've come to well are you i mean you're, you're welcome to take the time <laughs> well because i think it's important to get why somebody does what they do you know mm-hmm. to learn their passion anybody can sit behind a screen especially if they're a writer and we just see it in black and white right in mm-hmm. screens today or in, whether it's in print if you're fortunate to find a newspaper like you said it's kind of not that common anymore unfortunately i used to love it having the box scores even dating back to like my high school days you could find who played who scored who you know whatever whether it was our basketball teams our soccer games you know it's like cool to have those clippings i still have those back home so i totally relate i am an old 43 so whether we are young to some people or not but i i get what you're saying I, i i can totally relate to that i'm just not a writer so to hear you 
starting at such a young age, I can just see like, wow, you know, this has been a long road, whether it's been the 11 year plan for college, whatever, and you've stuck to it and you've got to where you want to be. So isn't that what the American dream is all about? And I know that's not what this episode or this podcast is about in general, but congratulations to achieving, but putting in the hard work to get it. You know, you did take the long road, even if you're 35, but you've been almost there for 10 years. That's amazing. That's a pretty big thing. And uh, give yourself a pat on the back. You know, I, I don't know you personally, but for, and I'm sure my listeners would think the same thing. So, you know, congratulations on that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I would, it would have been a little more of a dream if it was quicker than 11 years, but whatever, I am where I am and I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to be where I'm working and, you know, the people I've met along the way in college and in my profession, it's been, it's been a fun ride and I wouldn't really trade it any, for anything in the world. Maybe expect, accept a little bit of a quicker ride to where I, I am. But other than that, I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at. All right. Well, good deal. Let's talk some XFL. That's what the listeners are here for, but sometimes I like to add those unique intros. Mm -hmm. So back in July, the league had announced its eight markets with the Mm -hmm. defenders returning to the Washington DC, despite the XFL having the smallest venue in 2020 with the defenders, the attendance was pretty energetic and fantastic. In my opinion is just watching it on television. I never attended Audi field for a defenders game, but from what we had seen, like you had mentioned that beer snake and whatnot, it just seemed Amazing for a 20,000 seat stadium where they're drawing eight, 17, 18,000, whatever it might have been. So, what is the vibe now in the DMV area since learning the defenders are back? So, like the golden rule of journalism and writing stories is don't read the comments. And I try to, <laughs> and I try to not do that. But I don't know, my instinct takes over and my curiosity takes over. So I want to see what people have to say about like my stories and just to kind of get a vibe, even though I know social media and like the internet is sometimes a hellscape where people just like to complain just to do it, even if, you know, they don't actually care as much about the subject matter as they're proclaiming they are with their emotions online. But um, getting off my soapbox there, every time I, I check out, you know, defenders comments and, replies to their posts whenever i see anything it's typically pretty positive and it's the fans seem pretty enthusiastic about it returning and about what the experience is going to be for me my biggest unknown going into this is how will the schedule affect the fan base here you know having you know i don't remember if it's a home game or not there's a monday night game they're playing and then there's sunday night games and seven of the ten games are night games and I believe three of the five home games are night games. I'm, I'm back in my brain. I'm wondering if that'll fa- affect attendance at all. You know, having to go to work the next morning and fans in big markets. An issue is, you know, they have so many options when it comes to sports and what teams they they choose to go and see and spend their money on. Obviously, in the spring, it's a little lighter for DC. There's no NFL going on, so I'm curious to see if that schedule will affect um, fan attendance at all. Because the three home games they had in 2020, they were all day games and on the weekend. So it didn't really affect fans thinking in the back of their minds, well, I have to you know, get up for work early the next morning. So that's one thing I'm going to be really looking forward to is to how is that attendance going to be this year? Because they averaged about 15,000 fans for those three games, excuse me, in, in a 20,000 seat stadium. So seeing it 75% full is a good number. I mean, you, the last thing you want to do is put them at like a FedEx field and just see half the lower bowl field that's it's that's bad optics and so i think audi field is the perfect venue for for a venture like this and um 
yeah, I'm curious to see. I know the fans that have been talking about this are enthusiastic. So, and one thing I'm fairly confident is that the beer snake will return. If the fans, <laughs> I know the fans will remember that vividly from three years ago. So there's always that North end zone that the fans are uh, congregate in and, and build that beer snake. And Reggie Barlow told me in a um, story that we posted uh, recently that he said he'll contribute to the beer snake during games. I don't, I imagine it'll be, I don't know if it's gonna be after wins and losses at a minimum it will be after wins. So hopefully for the fans, they'll be winning at home and he'll get to do that for them. Yeah, no doubt. That is definitely one of the, um, I think biggest things that people take away from players, even in seeing Oliver Luck from back in 2020, the people that kind of played off from that or added to that experience or, you know, to that, those moments. So, you know, that and some Bud Light Seltzer chugs and smashes from some other teams, but we won't, we won't get into all that. But, you know, it's, it's the things that fans gravitate to and recall that just make everything pleasurable about it. You know, whether it was a football, the unique rules and all those things. So it's, it's good to see it resurrected, even if it is the third iteration. And yeah. I know sometimes people, well, if it's failed, it's failed. And if it failed twice, well, the pandemic is a different type of failure. And I think it kind of left a taste even if we do have new ownership this time around thinking, well, it wouldn't have failed. And I think we saw enough success where there is some truth behind that, but we don't really know the finances of what it took to get something off the ground to see that type of success. We can hear rumors and stuff, but until we actually see Miss McMahon's um, bank accounts, we wouldn't really know. Right. So, but he's out of the picture this time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And back to the, the fans. And I think the important thing about, something like the beer snake catching on or the, you know, the Bud Light seltzers with someone who may or may not have been a quarterback in Washington in the last three years. Um, <laughs> those, those things are like authentic and, 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 you know, not manufactured, not fake. And I think that's what people drew people to it was, it was an authentic thing born out of, you know, I don't know if originality is the right word, but you know, it was a thing that, you know, that's sp- semi-spontaneous, I would say, and it was like original to those teams. I mean, I remember after, after the uh, XFL shut down. And then I think it was the first season after baseball returned to games with fans. I saw fans in Wrigley field doing their own beer snake. I'm like, I remember who did that first. So it's also, it's one of those things where like, if it's authentic, people appreciate it more. If it's something they're like copying off of someone else and it's not original, it's just a little, I don't think people buy into it as much. And like you said earlier, also in regards to the league being viable from what I saw, I'd seen, Obviously, the you know the TV numbers went down, which is kind of to be expected. You know, everyone's got that curiosity factor going in, and there's a lot of casual eyeballs too going in first, so that they're less likely to stick around if there's any reason for them to not you know want to watch. But I feel like the the way the league was going, and with the outreach that it had with its you know with its broadcast partners and with its you know the sky cams and listening in on the um, the referee discussions and the re- replay reviews and the testing out the new rules like the uh, kickoff rule with the teams being five yards apart i think things like that gave it a real shot at sticking around especially if Vince man was going to continue to you know financially back it until it was financially viable and solvent down the road and we'll never truly know because the pandemic ruined it for all of us and for everyone in the league involved but this time around fingers crossed that everyone is vaccinated enough that we don't have another pandemic where it wipes out things and cuts out games and um, you know, delays anything for sports because, you know, even though it was a little weird in the beginning of the pandemic, I was able to binge enough stuff to realize I could live without sports for a certain amount of time. 
but it was a little, it was a weird feeling. And now that we, you know, we're back in the swing of things and sports are back in their regular ecosystem and the regular patterns, it's just nice having that, that routine. And it's just knowing that when there's, you look at a schedule, you know, something it's going to go on, it'll be there for us to watch. So uh, fingers crossed that we have a full season ahead. Starting February 18th. Okay. We're just a little over a week away. So it's on the horizon. And uh, even more news dropped today. We'll get to that here in a little bit. When you were mentioning, you know, the games being late, mm-hmm. and there's likely reasons for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, one, I had a contact that I talked to a while back when we were dealing with the delayed schedule release. And everyone anticipated, or fan base, whatever, everyone assumed it was the Vegas Vipers waiting on their venue. Well, according to my contact, it was not the Vegas Vipers that were holding up the schedule. It's that the schedule had to be reworked because of the D.C. Defenders. From what I had learned is that the Transit Authority had came back to the league and said, we're only going to allow you to play on Sundays. Now, again, it's what I'd heard from a contact. It is what it is. And then the league kind of negotiated in the one Monday night home game. Wow. I guess something to do because, uh, you know, the DMV area, anytime I come through there on 95, anything traveling back and forth from New York to Florida, it's it's rough all the time. It's jammed up. I mean, you living there, you probably see it as anymore. So I kind of took that as there might actually be something to that. I don't have anything in writing. It's just per one of my contacts, but it is what it is. So that might be one thing. But the reality, more likely piece to that is that in 2020, there was some more, let's say, local teams in the division that they were playing in. You had a New York City team or a New York metropolitan team in New Jersey, however you want to look at it. This time, D.C. is the complete outlier on the East Coast, and the division they're in is the North, and we see them playing with the likes of the St. Louis Battlehawks, the Vegas Vipers, and, you know, Seattle Sea Dragons. So looking at that, they're spanning multiple time zones. So now if you're trying to probably factor in who you're playing against and where those games might be played, if there's a game in Seattle and whatnot, you're probably going to play when it makes sense for that time zone's home base or to factor that in. I think that's always been the difficult thing with sports fans in general when their team either plays on the East Coast or West Coast, you know, when they travel across the country. So I think that's probably why we're seeing that time time zone thing. And it just happens to maybe not play so well for the DC defenders this time around. How much you mentioned it, the time of the game impacting attendance, how much does not having that natural rivalry with like, say the New York guardians, Or when you look at the National Football League, the Philadelphia team, the New York team, you know, those are like you're kind of traditionally bred in a way to hate teams from those cities. You don't have that this time around. Will that play a factor? So right now, I don't think so. I think I think the fans went last time just for the experience. I don't think they were necessarily looking for specific rivals just yet. They also they just wanted a release from, you know, they just wanted more football and also a release from the NFL season and a place to congregate and have fun on the weekends in the spring and the uh, late winter. I think once the league becomes 
you know, viable and it sticks around for more than a year, then fans can start to think about things like natural rivals and, and things like that, you know, and like you brought up with the division, that's a really good point about the time zones and everything. It's just really wacky to see how far East they are compared to the rest of their opponents. And I really didn't put that much thought into into the schedule. So I was just selfishly thinking about me and not wanting to cover games at night because, uh, so I, I don't think the fans are really thinking in line up with, you know, who are our rivals. I think what they're thinking about is just having a fun experience and just rooting their team on right now at this stage, I think maybe a year or two down the road, once they realize, okay, this will be a thing that'll last beyond a season, maybe two seasons or maybe beyond three seasons, then you can start thinking about things like that. And then, Along those lines, expansion would also have to be a thing that would spur them to even think about rivals too. And I don't know if after one season that, you know, Dwayne Johnson and Danny Garcia will be at that point of thinking about expansion because I, I don't really know what their business plan is because shocker, I'm not in on their owners meetings and they don't include me in those, those types of discussions, but, <laughs> but I don't know what their timeline would be for when they would consider ex- expanding their league. I think they, Initially, the smart play would be to just establish yourselves and, you know, see what you have. All right. If there's not really room for growth yet, let's just build what we have and, you know, capitalize on that. And then once we're once we're in a place where we can grow our product, then we'll you know start to put expansion teams into place. Um, but when that'll be, I'm not sure, honestly. The thing that I kind of am hesitant on, obviously, with expansion is when we even look at the competing league, the USFL, clearly just rebranded the Tampa Bay Bandits team and just essentially dissolved it. But, I mean, I guess the team wasn't really playing in Tampa anyway, but now they had the Memphis Showboats. And then you kind of look at what the XFL did here for 2023, is they just used the nicknames and you know logos to whatever extent, and they just kind of tweaked them. For the Guardians became the Orlando team, the Vipers became the Vegas team, yeah, the Brahmas are a new team, but you kind of look at some of these things and, well, that kind of tells me that New York is not in the plans anytime soon. Maybe the Wildcats might be with L.A., or maybe not, but I'm like, when those teams completely lose whatever there was, and I thought the Guardians branding was on point. I think the logo looked awesome. I thought the the color scheme, and especially that gray jersey, but so for whatever reason... That has set sail. They're not going to put a team in Orlando, then strip the team back to put it in New York unless they, you know, do something with a new brand. But so I, I can't see money wise that happening. I think we are seeing most of these leagues that got to get the finances right. You, they know they're losing money in year one, two, maybe three, whatever it is, but they got to get it right. And I think adding teams is going to be just too much money, you know, because it's more head coaches and personnel and players and, venue leases and everything kind of just goes into more travel. So not to rain on any parade, I would love to have more teams just as much as anybody because I know everyone's like, oh, we could have a 16-team league. It's viable. Well, maybe eventually, but I don't think to get it off the ground right away. And what's smart to rush it, just based on the history of spring leagues, you should, you know, it's been how many decades since spring football leagues have existed and, you know, the pattern is, you know, should be well you know everyone should be well aware of the pattern you can't rush this kind of stuff you have to know what you have in front of you because if you put the cart before the horse it's not going to end well and historically things don't end well for spring football leagues 
Um, so I think patience would be a virtue in this kind of situation. It's better to, you know, do it right than do it fast, in my opinion. Absolutely. So let's take a, a look at the football side of it. You know, not so much of um, what could be happened. You know, we got Coach Barlow, and we've seen him. He's been coming into the market, doing whatever, some media relations. You know, some of the teams we see more of that, some we don't. But he happens to be one that has definitely been traveling back to the DMV area to do various engagements with television, radio. And we see that he's also coming back to do events with fans. That's one of the teams also doing pretty well with fans. So we know that there's an engagement there. With Coach Barlow, some of these players make it in. What are you seeing? I know you're reading the comments and stuff, but are you seeing like that type of stuff as well? Are you in tune with what's happening with that, that maybe there's more of or not as much as we think is happening, but on the football and getting in with the players, the coaches uh, in the market? See, because they're in Arlington, you know, they're not really training in the DMV. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the things that makes it hard to to truly gauge what the, you know, the interaction is between both sides in terms of the fans and the team. Um, I went to an event in December, I believe, in D.C., and there was about 50 or so fans there and they were all wearing their defender stuff and they were really excited and engaged and you know, interacting with some of the players that were there and Reggie Barlow was there and um, Jamie Sharper was there. So they got to interact with the people there and it seemed like everyone there had a fun time. But yeah, like, like you brought up there in Arlington all season and they just travel out to the, their home cities for games. So it's truly, it's not as easy to gauge, you know, what the, the fan reaction will be until the true gauge will be when the games start, then you'll, you know, the proof will be, in the visual pudding, so to speak, when you are at the stadium and you look on TV and you see what the crowd is like and what the reaction is like. I think that's one of the more important metrics. I think, you know, obviously TV, you know, numbers are huge and important. They give you a really strong, uh, relatively accurate gauge. I'm, it's not saying it's an exact science, but it's a relatively decent gauge to get a semblance of what the audience is like outside of the stadium. But inside the stadium, I think I think the players care more about that than I think they care about TV ratings, honestly. I'm just guessing right now because I feel like they feed off of the environment that they have. And if they have nobody there, they're going to have to, you know, expound even more of their own energy to come up with their, you know, to, for motivation and, you know, you know, a surge of energy for the game. Yeah, I think the true gauge outside of uh, TV ratings will be, you know, what's the fan experience like? What is it like inside the stadiums when they play every week? Well, that's important. I mean, there's there's two different fans, right? Mm-hmm. There is the type they're going to watch on television because they don't live in a market, right? And that's obviously huge, and that's what carries, you know, weight for every professional sports franchise and league that's out there. It's all TV money is what is keeping everything alive now. It's, everything's dictated by ratings. But the people that are really fans of the teams are going to be buying tickets and stuff. They care about a different thing. They don't care about television. They're not even going to watch it on television, likely unless the team's on the road, right? They're going to be at the game. They want to know what that experience is going to be like and whatnot. Well, when these fans are looking at Coach Barlow that has a history, right? He's one of four coaches that actually have head coaching experience. I mean, yeah, he doesn't have National Football League head coaching experience, but then you look on the flip side, there's four coaches that have no head coaching experience whatsoever. So when you see that type of thing, you see some of the players that have been brought in. You know, we have now seen the rosters that were finalized today. 
so we know who you have. You know, at the the most focal position is always quarterback. Who's the quarterback? Well, it looks like Jordan Tyomu is the guy on the depth chart, right? From what we're seeing, he's going to be backed up by uh, Eric Dungy and De'Ara King. I mean, of any of the teams, they look like they have the best three quarterbacks. I mean, as far as depth, in my opinion, many other people are thinking the same thing. Some people might argue teams have a better quarterback than Jordan, but Jordan had a very solid season with the St. Louis Battlehawks. His completion percentage, he was really coming around, coming into his own, that he was actually getting better as the season went on. So looking at your head coach, somebody has, you know, one ties to the local area, but has experience, played in the National Football League, looking at your key positions, do you think that that's enough for this fan base to gravitate towards, right? The football aspect of what they're cheering for, not just a logo, not just the city name behind it, but the actual, the product they're going to support. Is that helping or will it help? Maybe you don't know if it's helping right now. Well, I think, you know, when you look at the roster, I think Jordan Tamu is the big name that stands out to, you know, Joe J fan, you know, you know, maybe Derek King they've heard of, maybe they've heard of, you know, Ryquel Armstead has been in the NFL or, a, you know, a Puka Williams or, um, you know, someone like that. Maybe a Dewan Neal who was with the commanders in training camp this past summer. So, but there's no, you know, outside of Tom, there's no really big name that stands out that will really get their attention. So I think the fans will go and support the team, no matter, you know, really who the players are, because they know what level of football this league is. They know it's not the NFL. They know it's a bunch of players who, are working their tails off to try to make it to the NFL and to, you know, take the next step above this level. Um, like I said earlier, I think the fans go there primarily for the experience and because they love football in general, they probably don't really know the rosters up and down like they would know the commander's roster up and down. And they probably wouldn't, you know, be able to talk about it for like three hours on end for like sports talk radio or anything. But I think they, like I said, they go for the experience. They go for, you know, supporting another local team. I think fans in this area take a lot of pride in supporting local teams. I think their passion probably outweighs, you know, their desire for star players on the team. I think they're, you know, well aware that this isn't necessarily a league of stars. And, you know, who knows? Players may turn themselves into stars when the season goes on. That's what happened three years ago. You know, Heineke wasn't even, Taylor Heineke wasn't even a star. And then he, you know, made the jump to the NFL and made a name for himself there and can say, you know, the XFL helped me, even though I was a backup to Jordan Tamu. Um, so I think that's what fans go for is the experience, you know, supporting their team, supporting their their locale, you know, just commiserating people who love the same sport that they do. So, yeah, I think that's a primary driving factor for them going to games. You mentioned earlier when you're on your soapbox about being able to identify the players, right? Didn't need the jersey number. You didn't need this. That you could just recognize the players. So maybe that's a different story because this team hasn't been established for multiple seasons and adding mm-hmm. new pieces. But when you look at this particular roster, I don't know how much you've really honed in on it. I know they just finalized it, so there were some surprising cuts across the league today, no doubt. We can't sit here and dissect each of the fifty-one players on the rosters and who didn't make it. Right? We don't. Okay. We don't have that time. Memorize. This is not like when I was in elementary school and I could just name number one through 99 of the Redskins roster back in the day. I can't do that anymore at my advanced age. <laughs> you look at what you have in front of you and maybe what you've seen in the lead up with camp, right? Some of the names. What do you see with this roster? Do you see a solid team? Because the reason why I ask this, 
when you look at the sports books and when you look at some of these guys that are experts or true analysts, you know, the defenders are actually looked at in a very good light here when they're looking at these rosters. So what are you seeing? I mean, you know, I guess the sports book is a sports book and we don't really know styles of play until we actually see them happening, you know, happen to play. But what do you think? So for me, what stood out and, you know, this might be narrow minded because I'm only thinking about, you know, the skill positions and, you know, I, I do have lineman's guilt because I don't necessarily know much about the linemen that they have on their roster. And I can't really tell you you know, what their left tackle through right tackle does and what their specialties are. But I think Jordan Tommy was a huge, you know, in a way, a coup for them to get him on their roster and gives them a big leg up. You know, when they unveiled their their uniforms and, you know, their their name and they unveiled their quarterback, they only had one and every other team had two. I'm like, mm, they can't go into a season with just one quarterback. So I wonder who their other quarterbacks are going to be. And, you know, it had been, you know, put out there that De'Aaron King was, you know, supposed to sign with the team. And then he signed a practice squad deal with the Carolina Panthers. So. There was uncertainty about that. And eventually he went to the defenders and then the defenders landed Jordan Tamu. And I think that's the biggest, obviously everyone knows quarterbacks the most important position in football. Um, so I think that gives them a really big leg up. Um, and I also was really impressed with their running back, uh, running back room. And it's just a very simpleton logic. I've heard of most of their running backs that they had. So I'm like, all right, so if I've heard of them, they must be pretty decent. And that's terrible analysis. And I apologize to all the XFL diehards out there and i know they're going to be slamming me on social media this guy doesn't know what he's talking about it might be true um but <laughs> so i i like what they've done with their their offensive skill positions and i noticed that they moved puka williams from running back to receiver so i found that very interesting and i find it interesting they only have two running backs listed on their roster they only had yeah they only have abram smith and Ryquel armstead so that's going to be interesting to see how they use uh williams and you know how they utilize just having two running backs in their depth chart and I don't, I don't know if them having to keep a 51-man roster played a role into that, in that or not. But, you know, once the season goes on, the players will, you know, establish themselves and people will get a much better idea of, you know, the cream rising to the top, so to speak. So you know, once the games start, I'll have a better idea of which player stands out the most and who's going to make the biggest impact for this team going forward. The biggest question mark. I think a lot of people don't even look at him as a question mark. I think that they just think he's the real deal. Abram Smith. I think a lot of people are very high on him. The reason why I say he's a question mark is because he changed positions in college. He wasn't running. He wasn't a running back the whole time, but he tore it up. When he did make the switch, he tore it up. So the I think the logic that most of these people have is that he's just a horse in the stable waiting to get out, out of the gate. I think and everyone's like, this guy hasn't shown us much of anything yet. If that's just a sample, we're really going to see it. I think it could be true. I mean, to make that collegiate jump to the, you know, any professional ranks is a change. And, you know, this might not be a true because uh, situation because they're living in hotels in Arlington. So maybe it's a little bit more regimented versus you know, the freedom that most professional athletes have outside of the um, the training facility and on game day at the stadium. But I think that's where it, people are looking at that he could just go off. And if that's the case, the defenders are going to be fortunate. Yeah, I'd be lying to you if I, I told you I was very familiar with him. And I felt really stupid when I looked up his stats. It was like 1,600 yards his final season at Baylor and 12 touchdowns. I'm like, 
well, he must be decent. <laughs> so I learned a little bit about him once they took him with the first pick in the uh, in the uh, skill position uh, portion of the draft. And fortunately for the defenders this time, their first overall pick stuck around on like three years ago when Rashard decided to go to play for the Tennessee Titans instead. So that's a, a feather in uh, Reggie Barlow's cap that he got to keep his number one overall pick around. So, yeah, I'd be lying if I said I could, you know, give you the bios of every single player and their strengths and weaknesses at this point. Um, I'm not... I do pride myself on knowing like players coming out of college and just at least seeing every person's name in the NFL draft, you know, one through 200 and however many picks they have nowadays, but I'm not completely familiar with all of them. I'm one of those people where like I, right now I'm just waiting to see who stands out when the games are played. I'm, you know, fans or media isn't really allowed to watch uh, training camp practices and obviously not traveling down to Arlington, Texas (laughs) to watch their, uh, their practices. I think uh, my eyes will be the judge of who's going to stand out going forward. Well, that's fair. I mean, I think anybody that's not based in Arlington or hasn't maybe made a flight in at least once or twice, we haven't seen anything. It doesn't matter how many clips they put things on social media. They're only going to show us what they think looks good, right? They're not going to show us what looks bad. And I, and I get it. It's, it's part of their marketing. So in part, I always wish that they would have at least one preseason game, even if they don't play a quarterback that much and they're kind of getting the pieces. But it would be nice to kind of get to see things. But knowing how short training camps have been for any professional spring league that's trying to get off, everything's been shortened. So, you know, even week one or two can be rough depending on how you look at it. Some teams look really good coming out of the gate and some teams just don't. It takes them a couple of weeks to get, you know, their their legs and that build that chemistry, right? Because it's still a short term. You're trying to get everyone on the same page. So I understand that. And I, you know, not to hold your feet to the fire, but I just was kind of curious if you'd seen anything that's popping out to you because everyone looks at things and sees different players in different lights. Cause I moved down from Syracuse, New York to Southwest Florida. And I was a season ticket holder for the Syracuse orange. I think Eric Dungy tore it up statistically at Syracuse. He holds a lot of records at Syracuse. We all have heard of Donovan McNabb, right? Everyone's heard of Donovan McNabb, but the guy that holds a lot of records at Syracuse is Eric Dungy. So looking at that, there's talent there, right? And he's been on that cusp with whether it's been the Browns or whoever like himself, but Tyone was going to be the guy. So, you know, there's going to be a capable stable of quarterbacks because even De'Ara King right there, like you mentioned, was got brought in and didn't look like he was going to be whatever was being rumored or reported by Mike Mitchell from the XFL News Hub there for the longest time. But it became reality once he got released from that. So, yeah, there's a lot to be desired that we want to know, and we're only going to see it once we start seeing games played. But it's always good to kind of get those thoughts of people because, uh, you know, some people are more in tune with a particular team than others. They might be watching things a little bit closer. They might have some more discussions with contacts. We all have our contacts in the world. Some people are a little bit deeper, like Mike Mitchell in the XFL <laughs> world than others. But, like, it didn't mean that you didn't have a little bit more insight. And so I'm always trying to kind of just pick and see what I can no, get from I will, I will never you for asking the questions as a journalist at heart. I will never, <laughs> I will never be mad at you for digging in and asking questions. Cause that's what you want to know. And that's what the, uh, what your listeners want to know. So I am not upset at all. Yeah. Right now I'm, I'm just at the point where I, I basically see what everyone else sees the general public sees. I don't necessarily have much, if any inside access to what's going on. Um, so I'm patiently waiting like everyone else for the season to start. 
Well, it's all good, but you're in the market, so we'll kind of circle back here a little bit. Are we seeing any billboards, advertisements outside of ESPN? Are we seeing any magazine articles or newspaper like advertisements? I mean, that's all traditional media, but are we seeing anything new, like grassroots program things that you haven't typically seen in the past, or is it just waiting? No, I haven't seen any yet um, outside of my Reggie Barlow story from <laughs> from a week and a half ago. So it's I, I don't know if it's on on purpose if it's budget you know restraints for them um, or you know if it's just them waiting until just before the season starts because you know I guess they you know the logic could be you know people are just going about their everyday lives they may see it and then forget about it within a few days but if it's just a few days before the season starts then it'll stick in their head hey maybe I want to go to this so that could be up their sleeves I have no idea what their, their advertising plans are. Um, but they haven't done much. A lot of it's just been social media primarily. And I guess a lot of word of mouth amongst fans who, you know, went to games three years ago and are signing up to go this year. So the shield, right? We mm-hmm. got the secondary logo was confirmed all for all eight teams today. You know, they had redesigned the primary logo, right? The mm-hmm. shield got taken away and they had that D with a C and I think it's sharp with a little star. But the fact that the shield is still a secondary, I'm mm-hmm. assuming that I'm assuming it, like anything, that's a good thing, right? Because that's part of the branding that people are, if they're familiar with anything, that's what they're familiar with with the DC Defenders, right? Yeah, and I think if I think the fans wanted the the old logo and the old helmets back too, I didn't think they wanted were clamoring for a new design. Um, and I, you know, obviously I'm sure you saw in their promo video about their alternate logo with the shield. You know, all the screenshots of the fans saying, bring back the shield. So obviously this has been in works for a while. And they've had it trademarked for a while. So um, I guess fans sometimes can get what they wish for, although this is not going right on their helmet. It's just going to be on merchandise, I believe, and maybe some advertisements and, you know, video in-game productions, stuff like that. Um, but I, I do think it's a little more solid than the DC logo that they have now. It, it also just feels like, feels a little upside down <laughs> looking at it. It's like an upside down Pentagon. It is, I don't know. So that like sports logos and uniforms are just 1 million percent up my alley. So like I will nitpick the heck out of <laughs> out of logos and uniforms until the point where someone cuts me off and tells me to stop talking about it because they want to <laughs> go on about their lives. <laughs> so if you want to spend two more hours talking about logos and uniforms, I can do that. But I'm going to be nice and, and concise and say um, that probably should be their primary logo as opposed to the DC logo they have now. But it was like Forrest Gump would say, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> the reason why I bring it up is one, it came out today. Two, mm-hmm. when you go back and you look at images from 2020, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, you're going to find Beer Snake. You're going to find that guy that was in what? Like, what, I can't remember what he was dressed in. I could think of him right now, but I can't remember. Was he dressed like a captain or some whatever? I don't know, whatever. Some guy that was dressed as. Like a knight, a medieval knight with like the chain. Yeah, it was, that's what. Yeah, that's what it was. I mean, but it, it was you know you had certain people that just stood out. But mm-hmm. the other thing I remember is a lot of people holding up that shield, mm-hmm. right? Whether it was a foam shield, whether it was whatever. So that's a very from a five game season and only three home games. That's a vivid memory that I have. And if you go back and you just search photos, and you'll find that in a heartbeat. Like how many people were just holding that up? So. It yeah. does seem very DC defender ish, like kind of like whatever reason 
the pig or the hog nose for the now commanders, which were once the Redskins. But when you look at certain things, just certain things that people had did, it seems like it's smart to embrace that. Yeah, the, the foam shields were a giveaway for their first game. So the fans embraced that right away. And they also had like a 40-pound uh, metal shield that fans could hold and take a picture with, too. So that's something that, the, you know, it was also, you know, it was a design that the team embraced, too. So then the fans also embraced it. So they clearly heard the fans clamoring for it, and they brought it back. So, I mean, it's not a primary logo, but at least it's there for fans to enjoy. So one more question before we get out of here. I don't want to take up too much of your time. What do you anticipate for attendance on the 19th? Um, so they had a game where they were, I believe, above above 14,000, a game where they're above 15, and a game where they're above 17. So they averaged about 15,000. So I'm going to be on the safe side and go at about, you know, probably about 15,000, 15,500, something like that. The, the ultimate X factor is will the, you know, the night games leading up to weekdays be a factor at all this season with, you know, in terms of fans deciding, do I, or do I not want to go to these? Um, so I guess I'll be safe and say around, let's just do a random number, 15,523. Let's just do that. <laughs> if I'm right, I'll Pretty give precise. myself <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to completely forget this number within five seconds. <laughs> an audio form so if you need to look it up you know where to come back to 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 for your source to find it <laughs> well jake it has been a pleasure and i really appreciate you taking the time to come out to the show to discuss the xfl dc defenders and their lead up to the their first home game well even week one i guess on the 19th i appreciate the invite thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure before you go if you wouldn't mind, I know my listeners are always looking to get more information, whether it's about the, the particular teams, whether it's about markets, you know, how things are leading up. And now that you're kind of my go-to guy for the D.C. market, <laughs> no uh, would you would you mind sharing where they can follow you, whether it's social media, you know, the, the post and all that stuff so they can follow you in the information that you will be reporting on the team as the season progresses. So my Twitter handle is at underscore Jake Russell at underscore J A K E R U S S E L L uh, on Instagram at Jake Russell 83 and on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash by Jake Russell B Y J A K E R U S S E L L. And they can also find additional works and entertaining, uh, uh, bits of audio and video of myself on uh, jakerussellsports.com. Perfect. Thank you, Jake. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. The XFL's finalized 51-man rosters were finalized just minutes before our scheduled session. Any thoughts regarding the DC Defenders' finalized roster were initial reactions. Jake's straightforward approach and demeanor is refreshing. Yet, it is his deep roots to the DC area and continued coverage of its teams that legitimizes his insight and thoughts. As this season and show progresses, I am looking forward to reconnecting with those who have previously made appearances and many others. Now that the lead-up to the season is complete, our coverage and release schedule will see some changes. The XFL weekly game schedule will greatly impact our ability to record, which will push our releases to Tuesdays moving forward. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, 
Reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.